Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to another episode of Remap Radio. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and this is episode 20 for October 13th, 2023. Ah, fuck. Today, Kato, you doing okay? <laughs> My numbers are all fucked. I put 18 on this for some reason, and I realize why. I haven't been here you, for two you're sick episodes. for 18, yeah. 19? And so, and so Kato's way of dealing with that was in the middle of Rob's intro to just start yelling, fuck. <laughs> I was just I was just concerned. I that, didn't like, yell. Kato, yeah, this is how he discovers Kato's super superstitious. <laughs> oh, no, this is the Friday the 13th episode, and it's October. Well, it is. Oh, oh. you're not even doing a bit there. It actually is Friday the 13th. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, so it could be extremely cursed. I already got my curse out of the way. I, I rolled the shit out of my ankle uh, last <laughs> last night. So oh, I good, thing we, good thing we delayed doing all that big stuff until out of Friday. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize what we were avoiding. That was just, woo, bullet dodged. See you next week. Yeah. News from Remap. <laughs> uh, and that is, of course, Patrick Klopik. And today we welcome uh, Carly. It is it is Veloci, right? Veloci. Veloci. Okay. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't uh, like that you weren't fully leaning into the Velociraptor thing. And it's actually no. I'm, I'm Velosa. Uh, all right. Yeah. So so we welcome Carly Veloci, editor, writer. Uh, they've worked with just about everyone, just about everywhere, including back in the Waypoint days, us. Yes. Hi. <laughs> nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for swinging by. And uh, thanks for helping us clean up copy across an updated version of the website that we are working on uh right now one that will hopefully make remap radio look and feel a little more permanent and professional than we have today Mm -hmm. yeah those are words we can use to describe it it's a tough job but you know someone's got to do it (laughs) (laughs) specifically it's a job that you need a copy editor for uh which i think is something that patrick and i had to look hard within ourselves at each other and be like (laughs) which of us do we trust it's to, oh, it's to so read website funny. copy. Mm. Mm. Rob sending me anyone that has read my work for an extended period of time. Like the the question Rob posed to me, it like is just so much funnier. Which yeah, you know, we're trying to figure out like you know, well, more to talk about this next week. You can maybe read between the lines on some stuff here. But uh, 
like, hey, I, how are you at typos? And I, I should have just gotten up, walked away, <laughs> like started cackling. Like, it is right alongside uh, being able to, uh, unable to pronounce things, like guess and pronounce like how it might sound. Like <laughs> typos are my just like worst enemy. I pride myself on broadly turning in like clean copy. You know, I might not be the best writer in the world, but when I hand you a draft, like, more often than not, you don't have to do a whole, a whole lot of heavy lifting on it. Uh, but what you are going to be doing is like, that's a typo. That's a typo. <laughs> like my brain just scans right past them. Whereas like Rob's like greatest strength is like being an incredible like editor, like helping people with the intellectual like rhetorical arguments. But it sounds like both you and I, Rob, do not possess, which I think is a very specific skill, which is being able to look at a finalized or near final piece of work and you know like dot the i's cross the t's like that that little stuff that once you've read something six times just goes like just right past you which is why um why we why we brought in a ringer (laughs) that had that that skill set which i'm very okay with um but i mean I, I I mean, I'd say that I'm a pretty good copy editor all to my own horn, but when it comes to my own work, I can't. I can't edit my own stuff. Really? So it's, it's a position heal thyself situation. Yeah. yeah and it's okay. sort of like I know people with this problem too, which is why like I always say like everybody needs an editor because like editing your own stuff is the hardest thing to do. And cause like I, I guess people feel possessive over their words a little bit. I know I certainly do. So maybe that's a part of it, but, but maybe it's something like you said, where it's like, you've seen something enough times that you're just like scanning. For me, it's um, like, it's worse with my own work, but it happens with anything. Like a lot of the, a lot of pieces I write, it's that because I'm so concerned with like, what's the, what's the general idea here? What's the sentence doing? What is this paragraph doing? What's the, what's the content here that we're communicating my brain is shockingly good at just erasing entire, like there might be missing words. There might be completely like a clause that was just like left there. My brain will delete it because it's clearly like, Oh, this just doesn't go here. And this isn't what this like sentence is about. It's not what this graph is about. So it just doesn't, my brain skips over it, rewrites the sentence cleanly. And I just go straight through and because what I'm engaging with is just like, does the argument hold up? Does does the does this like does the story sort of uh, pointing in the right direction? Which is important. Like, that's a huge part of editing as well. So it is. But it does. It does mean that, like, when you're doing that final pass of, okay, is this article going to look like shit when it when it goes live? And uh, I'm not the person for that. Or the first comment, or like on a social media, or if there's a comment section on the website, someone be like, "Great read," but and then like <laughs> points out like you know like a typo. And our audience has always been super nice about her, like putting little DMs in, like, "Hey, I don't mm-hmm. know." It's like especially like things that would just get you uh, pilloried. It like even a student newspaper. I know because I've made I made these errors back when I was a student uh, editor as well. But like when someone's like. Hey, did you mean that subhead to say oh, this? Did I'm you like, mean? Did oh, you mean it is fuck. itself the meanest possible way, while also understandably trying to be gentle? Is, is like so the subhead, dumbass, the subhead, you, the, the thing at the top of the article in the big font that everyone's gonna see. The only thing people are gonna read the head. Yeah, 
Yeah. Did yeah. do you mean to have it just like make absolutely no sense whatsoever? Uh and, and I think that was something we were always up against at Vice, certainly. There's a period where it was like the, the copy editor position was kind of this like uh I think we went through a few of them during the time at Vice, and part of it was a bit like photography departments, whenever the higher ups would be like, "Let's hey, let's really cheap out. Let's really figure <laughs> out what is minimum viable media company." Oh no! Uh, photographers, copyright, copy editors against the yep. wall. Yeah, no copy. I always say copy editors are like the first people to get laid off because people don't think they need them. Um, and that's, I mean, that is what happened to me literally. So I can sort of speak to from experience about that. Just they were just like copy department, don't need it. Don't need it. I mean, uh, even words. having a department is itself, uh, I think, an outlier. I think a lot of the outlets I've worked at that were even lucky enough. For, usually, the only time I ever worked at an outlet that had a copy department or at least a copy editor, it certainly wasn't a games outlet. It had to be, like be an outlet. Yes, there was a, a legacy news outlet that had copy editors associated with, like, like the World News Desk, right. and that if you had a big piece, something that was like going through the legal department or other like then maybe it might cross the copy desk uh, because the, the editor in a different department's like, well, then now it's got to go to the copy like editor. It's like, what? Like the copy editor is me giving it to Rob and hoping our, both of our powers to not see a typo combined, like add up to identifying <laughs> the spoiler, they don't. a typo. No, yeah. they don't. No, they don't. We just instead rely on our, our very kind hearted uh, readers and listeners to to gently nudge us in the, in the well, right direction. You know, the the other thing is that, like, when they would bring that position back advice, it was like, we'll have one copy editor for the whole company. And this this poor this poor person is going to because it's all going to be after the fact. She's going to go through stuff that was published during the week. And then she's going to send this forlorn little email out to people being like, hey. Noticing some consistent issues with. Following our style guide. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of typos that are catching people out. I just, you know, be mindful of these things. Here's a few words that seem to be tripping people up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fun of being a copy editor is telling people basic stuff constantly. And it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I, I understand that like everybody's rushed and has like a billion things on their plate. So it's like completely understandable, but you really start to feel like you're just like repeating yourself and you're just like, I'm sorry, I have to bring this up again, but you're not adding alt text to your images. And that's really important for accessibility and SEO. And like every time you mention something, it's got to be like, well, it's good for SEO. You got to do it. And, (laughs) and, but yeah, no, I've been a copy editor places where I'm editing like 15 articles a day. It's like the easiest way to burn out is being like, yeah, you only need one. And then that one is like editing 15 to 20 articles and and it's not done by six months. Yeah. And it's not like the whole brand of a copy editor who's sort of retroactively like letting people know the copy mistakes they made. That's not what the job is. Like copy editor is kind of like the white glove inspection of a piece. Really? It's like, (laughs) all right, like everyone's gone through it. And like, is this thing now compliant with the guide? Is it going to like, is it, is it like ready for really? Cause like the, the stakes with print are the mistake lives forever. Right. So you like the print, the, the stakes are much higher than going in editing after the fact, but the notion that like the copy editor can email the newsroom full of people who've also been staffed down 
and are like hitting quotas <laughs> and being like, could we maybe care a little bit more about like our words and how how our articles are are, are leaving? That that's going to that that's going to work is just uh you know really fanciful, but it makes sense in executive brain because it's like yeah. well, all these people are gonna do less with more. Everyone said they need you know they need help with copy, so we got mm-hmm. we got these hundreds of people a copy editor. Well, and that's just an extension of the AI argument, right? Like it's all the same. Oh, squeeze. don't even don't even talk to me <laughs> right? about the AI stuff, especially when it comes to oh. editing. Like I got laid off from my copy as a copy chief, and then somebody at the company I worked with was like, "Yeah, Grammarly does just as good of a job." Ooh. And I'm like, I was gonna ask about Grammarly. I was gonna yeah, ask you, if someone can you explain. Like, I feel like most people's interactions with like a grammar or a spell checker is the stuff that the red squiggly lines in Google Docs or Microsoft yeah. Word. But can you explain to like how Grammarly works and what does it say? It it is. <laughs> I mean, it's just Grammarly is just a spell checker, like and grammar checker. It's like no different than what you get on like in Word or Google Docs, but the difference is that it tries to make you think that it knows more than you do. It's wrong <laughs> most of the time. I I have it on when I'm copy editing because it's good at catching like an errant space or maybe like an extra L in a word. Like it's good for like really basic stuff. And then you'd all you have to do is just like click it and it'll fix it for you, which is nice. But you really do have to like look at it and be like, are you sure that that's what you mean? And you can like add stuff to the dictionary and it'll forget what you're adding and be like, you're spelling this wrong. I'm like, no, I've told you 10,000 times I'm spelling this right. So <laughs> I can't trust, I don't trust Grammarly more than just like a slightly fancier Microsoft Word spell checker. It's not that much different. So I'm going to be mean here. Do it. Because Grammarly used to advertise advertise more. They still do, but they are not making as much of a media push as they, as they were I, a few years ago. I disagree, ago. but... Maybe you're- I was I was listening to a podcast last night that had a Grammarly ad in it. No, but they used to be on like national sports broadcasts. You would okay, regularly fair. see a Grammarly ad. It's like, uh, like it's it's playoff basketball. It's like here's a Grammarly ad because really? I felt like in those yes because okay, I feel like Grammarly was specifically targeting business types who never figured out how to write. Um, and it was very much like. Oh, we'll help you write your email. Like, we'll help you apply for jobs and make sure you look professional. And it was all this like, we know you're scared of looking like a like a dumbass. Uh, But Grammarly, Grammarly here is going to make it look like you're you can you can write and you can communicate. And it's like it's it's going to you know, you're going to you're going to submit that email. You're going to submit that that memo. And everyone's going to be like good job and it's going to be like business stock photos that's basically what the ads were was like uh like non-threatening younger business people being like oh gee i hope i don't get fired sending this email and then like grammarly comes in and now it's all big smiles and everyone's like you get the job you get promoted yep and i think it's been around just long enough like that there are a lot of, oh my God, Patrick, this looks like a, you just posted something. It looks thumbnail. like holding someone hostage. <laughs> That's so unfortunate, that thumbnail. This oh. woman this vi- this video has to has- write an email. <laughs> okay, I almost feel like we have to watch this because th- take a wild guess how many views this video has. It's a, it's a corporate ad email. It's, it's 700? Like, like, yeah, like 2,000? 49 million views. 
Who's what watching the this? Fuck? Who's going to? Who is? Who is subscribed to Grammarly on YouTube? And the is comments are turned ads? off. I'm just wondering: is there something They're cursed beautiful. about this video? Is this something about how YouTube does ads? Like, is this? Is this oh, because the, being served across? Because oh, I'm pretty sure I've apps? seen this. I saw this lady yesterday on a in front of a YouTube as a pre-roll. Yeah, ad. I used to see Grammarly <laughs> ads a lot in front of YouTube videos, but now I have YouTube Premium, so I don't see ads anymore. Oh. But it's right. way more sense because, we should, because should there's we another get, Grammarly. Should we get YouTube Premium? Like, yeah, <laughs> this conversation. Patrick's really angry because I bought YouTube Premium and I didn't. <laughs> Do it through the corporate. Talk to his accountant. Oh, well, that's different. Yeah, I'd be mad at you, too. These are things you can fix. You can cancel it. and re- You got to go through all your subs. But anyway, <laughs> I think I think, I think think Kata was right uh, because, like, in the recommended – now I'm, like, wrecking my algorithm here. But uh, – well, my children already do that. Uh, but there's another Grammarly ad from two years ago that is just another innocuous close more sales deals, which is the exact kind of shit that Rob is talking about. Right. Uh, that has 10 million views. And so I have to imagine what we're seeing is actually ad spends yeah. by Grammarly reflected in view counts. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought about it that yeah. way. I, I guess I would have thought that YouTube would like filter those out. You know what I? I, I mean, mean I get, there's probably um, some somewhere where you're like, well, do you want to also just leave this up as a video people could stumble upon? And most ad people would be like, yeah, of course, that's free impression. Uh, you know what? I, and I bet they use that to artificially inflate trailer views too, right? So that mm. when you mm, yeah. watch a video and you get a trailer for the next Marvel film or whatever, you often see headlines that like, oh, this trailer is viewed X millions of times. Well, yeah, because you and put that it view in counts as an ad <laughs> that you're not. Wow. Also, yeah. maybe like somebody's accidentally clicking on the ad, which brings them to the video, and that counts as a view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Patrick, do, do you want us to watch the Grammarly video together? No, do, do I don't. No, I think. <laughs> I think Kato, I think Kato has solved it. I, don't, I actually don't think there's a great mystery here. I just think they spent a shitload of money pushing this lady with the creepy th- like this thumbnail is is pretty bad though. This, this thumbnail is horrible. No, it's, it's it, well, it's super effective because it, it's communicating. She's got confidence. Like, this woman is so scared of email. Like she shows every day, Look, and it's like she's email's she, scary. I get it. She's sitting there like before, like before going into the office. You know, th- this this stock photo model, she's got a stock husband, stock kids, and she's just sitting there being like, I hope I hope none of my stock family can see just the the seeping fear that I'm drenched in. I thought having to go in, I'm gonna have to go in and they're going to be like, could you reply to those emails? They're going to do it. And I can't hide today. And then Grammarly like breaks in through the window like the guy's minority report. And being like, we already like pre pre email service already saw you send the email. We fixed it. And the and the worst thing about Grammarly is that we, you would see this stuff before the current AI craze. And now that everybody's doing AI, Grammarly's back. Like, we will write your emails for you. Like, we're gonna go beyond just correcting your stuff and giving you suggestions. We're gonna write your entire email for you. Just give us the tone that you want, and we're gonna do it. And it's yeah, I have well, a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts. It's a, it's such a tell that like on the one hand, like I will admit, like there are enough people in the world that can write decently that writing is probably not going to be a job where it's like that hard to find someone who can do certain types of writing, uh, you know, decent, decently well. There's a lot of people in the world who can do it. But also be- companies don't want to pay anybody to do writing stuff they really resent having to do it 
And yet, like, all these things are kind of tells that, like, it's a super important skill. Like, unfortunately, you have to communicate. And this is one of the most, like, powerful ways to do it. And they will spend, they'll, they'll blow vast fortunes in the idea of, like, you can pay something that your mind respects. Because I think that's what it is, right? Like, the business types <laughs> this is targeted at, it's like, you don't respect liberal arts people and their fucking soft skills, you respect programming and machine learning. And so you can pay this machine to help you write good rather than one of those greasy writers over there. Yeah, those greasy writers who make $15 an hour working 80-hour weeks. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say that it's funny because, like, throughout most of, like, my formative years, people were like, Women in STEM, women in STEM, go into STEM careers. STEM is so important. It's going to be like your career, like a solid career. Do coding. And now we're here and nobody can write. And everyone's relying on AI to write their stuff. And by everyone, I mean like, you know, not everyone. But my mom um, messaged me like, I don't know, a couple of months ago. And she was like, I used AI for the first time to write. And it was great. And I was like, no, <laughs> mom, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I do. I, I I can imagine though the appeal for a lot, like for a lot of people, writing something is is scary because they know they're not very good at it or they don't feel confident in it. So I'm sure we've all like had the experience of like punching something up for someone like in our lives. Like I've yeah. done like obituaries and stuff like that where someone's like, "Here's what I want to say. I do not know how to write." I've then, like, written I people's them. jobs job applications for them effectively. Yeah, yeah, Same. right. Which sometimes like, I go back and I reconsider. Was I oh, selling no. that? It's like one of those things where it's like, wait, did I do right by just the world at large? Did <laughs> <laughs> but like when you like people know that you're a writer, like you'll get approached for things like that. And I can see like the appeal for the kind of person that like has that as like a personal fear. They're like, well, if something could just make this sound right, like quote, right for me by actually writing it. Like, I'm not I, I, the person like your mom, like I can sort of see like the appeal there, depending on their confidence and their own ability to actually string words together in a way that I don't know, doesn't make them look stupid, which I think is a fear for a lot of people. Yeah. And I get that. Um, it was just one of those things where like she was doing it because her boss told her she needed to write social copy for. Ooh. But it's like just not like off a lot, just like for like a post or two. And it's uh -huh. like, but my mom is a physician's assistant at a medical firm. Like, that's not her. That's not the job. That's not the job. Exactly. Like, that should be going to a, per a communications person who works for the company. And she and that person should have, like, talked to my mom and, like, you know, written something. But instead, they were like, hey, you know, you do it. And it's like, <laughs> my mom can barely type on a keyboard, let alone write social copy so it's just oh like my God. so yeah so that's sort of where it ends up where it's like i get people being unconfident uh in their work emails unlike uh whoever this woman is in the thumbnail who's very confident <laughs> about writing work emails but then you have people who are like being forced to write things they shouldn't be writing in the first place so i, I don't know it's it's just a mess well it's all part of that weird ecosystem of like all these small businesses that are like how will people find our business if we don't have a blog and a social media presence? It's like, who would who would come to my dentist's office unless we have a dentistry blog? 
telling stories about like our, it's very it's very like web 2.0 in some ways yeah. uh, very like go to this dentist blog because it showed up um and google search results for how do i floss my teeth correctly yeah yeah and like the the dentist at some point like has you know as google analytics sees that and it's like we you know if we converted just a percentage of these of these users we I'd be the wealthiest dentist in all the land. So we, we need more uh we we need more articles about dentistry. Um but like yeah, it's it's one of those things where uh the, the copy desk in particular has just been like hammered in the media landscape, but increasingly it's just like uh it feels like everyone is now like, how can you run it below skeleton crew at this point in terms of a uh, media media company? And, you know, it's it's like, I think before they got us, I think they, they, they wiped out like the office managers and yet again, I think the copy desk had gotten hit. Uh, and then it was down to no new hires, no new people will ever join this company. Uh, and then it was just waiting for the attrition to hit. Yeah, nobody's getting raises, nobody's getting promotions, you're not getting the resources you need. In fact, you're getting fewer resources than ever, and your quota's gone up, and you're just going to have to deal with that. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's super it's super grim out there. And it, it also se- it seems like incredibly divorced from uh, any sort of results, I guess, is the other thing that has cropped up over the years. I don't know, like... There's always a crisis in ad spend. That's just been a fact of media life for years and years. But I don't know. Like I, I wasn't this. I wasn't close to the side of the business. And certainly, like Waypoint Plus existing divorced us further from it. Uh, in terms of like how reviews turning into revenue, what did traffic targets mean? We just like weren't as dependent on that. But it did sort of seem like. Think there, that there had been a certain equilibrium achieved, and then suddenly everyone's getting laid off again. And I'm I'm curious, like, because I think you were both like more involved in that and like working at places that that did follow those metrics a little more closely. I'm curious, like, did the ground shift, or was it just like executives squeezing more blood from the same stone? It's it's one of those things where. It's two things, at least in games media, it's two things. One is that, you know, the strategy for a successful games website was leaning more and more on SEO and affiliate revenue and these sorts of things that, I don't know, like, I guess work, but they're obviously not sustainable. Um, And it's really just a matter of, like, chasing keywords and chasing things that people want to read in quotes so you get like, well, us and our like team of four people are, are going to be writing about Elden Ring for six months because that's all anybody clicks versus, you know, stuff that's actually like, quote unquote, important. And I say that because, you know, that could be subjective. But, you know, nobody was reading about the, you know, Activision Blizzard lawsuit. People were reading about Elden Ring guides. And so like you get over time, you sort of get a shift towards like guides writing and SEO stuff and like top games articles where you can like click through and, 
you know, buy the game and then the website gets a cut. Like that's why like um during the this this pre this current generation console launch um it was so lucrative for a lot of companies. Like you would see like all the websites trying to compete to get their links up on Twitter first for like PS5s and Xboxes when they would come in stock or Switches because people would click through those and buy them and the mm. website would make a ton of money. Um, and that was extremely lucrative for a lot of people. And so you know, the affiliate were, stuff was not just gravy. It was like core to revenue for, for oh, some. Or, sites, or yeah. When I worked at Gawker, like that was a huge part. Like it's Kotaku is one of the rare places that has a, front page right like it's a place that people, people type kotaku.com to go to which is just extremely rare to have a place that people want to visit as a destination and the yeah. more that you have places like that that's where embedding affiliate links is a significant like pillar alongside things like guides uh and toward in terms of actually making the finances work for a lot of these especially in tech right like tech is a huge yeah huge affiliate like you go to any 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 tech website and affiliate links are just everywhere i mean this week was uh prime day part two so i mean i can wait there's two of them now there's two of them now and then black friday is next month and you know It just, I just want to cry. They, they put the Exorcist in 4K up for $7. What can I say? Not oh, wait, you got to jump like, on that. You have to. I'm sorry. <laughs> get, get these 20 deals under $25. It's the perfect time to buy micro SD cards and uh, power banks and like all this. Oh, yeah. An- an- the anchor is just, you know, rolling around in, in cash during 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 sales like this. But you're right. right. But you're right. And it all seems built on these like self-fulfilling <clears throat> engines that mm-hmm. in many ways – like the consequence consequences of which are devaluing writing writers, the people in the orbit of like writing and writers like copy editors. And it all just sinks further and further into the muck. Exactly. And that's just something that's been happening over time. And, you know, like as people chase SEO, you know, like you said, like writing gets devalued. And then that means, well, we don't need as many writers. And then we get you know, like, oh, we don't need to pay people as much because this stuff's not that difficult to write. It's just 300 words. And then, like, Google, like, sort of was trying to stop this, but not really. Like, they, there were a couple of things here and there. Like, oh, your articles need to be at least 300 words. Otherwise, it's not going to rank. So it's like, okay, we got to actually, like, flesh these articles out. And then Google was like, okay, you can't put just keywords <laughs> everywhere we'll we'll see your keyword stuffing so then it's like okay we got to put the right amount of keywords like I, there was like a time like years and years ago where i did like a little seo writing for like i don't even remember some sort of like tech website it was like something through a writer program but it was like they had this software that would be like okay you use the right number of keywords but you use too many in this part of the article so you have to space them out a bit more and it was like micromanaging by software to make sure the SEO was correct. And it was absolutely abysmal. And WordPress has these kinds of plugins. Like people still use these kinds of plugins for SEO. And it's just like, okay. But like now, as we've seen, like that's not a good way to do things anymore. So now media is just seeing tons of layoffs and it's not even just games media. It's like all over the place. Like Buzzfeed news shut down last year, like Washington post, like just today or yesterday. I can't remember. 240 uh, more people, right? Yep. Um, 
offering buyouts and stuff. Mm. And it's bad because like we never figured out how to make media profitable because media is not profitable. That's sort of the point or it shouldn't be profitable. But you have all these like media organizations that are being run by venture capitalist weirdos. And so they want to see profit and profit and they're not getting that. So they're just going to keep like slashing things and it's just like numbers. So then you get what what's going on right now is just a bunch of uh, people who don't know media being like, oh, well, I'm not seeing the money I said I was supposed to have. So we got to just like start killing jobs. And it's awful. Obviously, it sucks. Um Journalism is in like sort of a crisis <clears throat> period, not even just games media, but like everywhere. And games media is just especially terrible because last year everybody got laid off. And so now it's like you have like places like, you know, you guys um, trying to like independently sort it out. But like we still haven't seen sort we haven't come out on the other side yet. There hasn't been the ba- like, you know, the, there's usually a bounce back, right? Exactly. Where- uh, a lot of people lose their jobs and then some jobs open up at other places. And I mean, it all is a squeeze in which there are fewer total on the other side. But, you know, the thought has always been and this has been this was true for much of my career was, well, once you're in, like you're kind of in. Right. Like like you'll find something somewhere you'll meet people once you're trustworthy. Like there will be a spot for you to sit down at if your particular situation goes sour and. What happened in this most recent cycle, I mean, even leading to like, you know, people having to spin up discords for like different folks in like games journalism, like to try and come together and like support each other's work and point towards like job opportunities is that that bounce back just hasn't happened. Those jobs didn't show up. I mean, the whole reason, you know, part of the reason we're here at Remap is because, you know, as we've talked about many times before, like I didn't get a single offer, like an interview after like losing out at Waypoint. And and that was true of pretty much Everyone else I know that was laid off in that similar period, you know, in the first six months of this year, like they're just, there's nowhere to go. Like, so you just start scraping it together based on, uh, what do I have in front of me? How can I bang these rocks together and turn it into money? (laughs) Exactly. And it was so funny because I was laid off on a Monday and everyone was like, Oh, we'll keep an eye out. You know, like the 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 messages came in, which was very nice. But then, like two days later, Fanbyte shut down, or basically laid off everybody and all but shut down. Um, and then, like, it was just a cascade effect after that. So I was just like, "Oh no, I am never getting a job again." Yeah. Um, and it was really disheartening because, like, we're here because we care. Like, games media is not lucrative in any respect but people are here because they love games and they want to report on them and they want to talk about them and it sucks that when you can't do that so you have people you know like moving to pr comms dev side which you know good for them but as we're gonna get into this episode like game dev isn't good anymore yeah, either right saying, now <laughs> wow thanks carly coming up with the great transition to hey. well it's bad here but certainly can't be worse elsewhere right rob <laughs> uh one would think one would hope but unfortunately uh yes it's it's bad uh writing about games is bad but writing for games uh be working on them also has potentially pretty bad in lots of places 
God, where where do we begin? Because it feels like every week now uh, we're just in this like period where just like waves of waves of layoffs hitting. I guess the first of these that hit, like the one that was most proximate to our last recording, was uh, Telltale laid off tons of folks. Yes, Telltale, which feels uh, like a story I tell a lot. It's like one of those things well, where it's like, didn't Telltale like how are they how they fire everyone again? Yeah, no, it's it's unfortunately cyclical, especially with this specific studio. Um. Yeah, uh, Telltale released a statement saying, due to, due to current <clears throat> market conditions, we regrettably had to let uh, some of our Telltale uh, team go recently. We did not take this action lightly, and our commitment to storytelling and finding new ways to do so remains the same. We are grateful to everyone for their dedication along this journey, and we are working to support everyone impacted. All projects currently in development are still in production. We have no further updates at this time. Uh, this new version of Telltale, their most recent release, which was not made internally, but was produced by Telltale and then made by... I think Deck Nine was the Expanse uh, game that mm. you and uh, Kato uh, streamed at least the first episode of. I, I do have to say, I don't know that I would have made my bet on the first project from Telltale being a television series that was has a cult following that had to be saved by a billionaire to get two vanity seasons on Amazon, and that eventually even that billionaire dropped it, and then doing a tie-in game several years after that series ended bad omen bad omen not like it was <laughs> it's a strange project right because like i love the expanse you know oh, i was yeah. so happy when it got saved and you know i watched the finale and then they were like oh there's gonna be an expanse game and i was just like huh okay because <laughs> I, I always have to tell people you should be watching the expanse like and they're like but why what is the expanse and i'm like just just watch it it's great but like it's it was a very strange project and then i guess it i actually don't know how well it sold but i assume not super well considering um what games are selling right now was, but <laughs> i don't know is deck 9 still its own entity or had they been like acquired acquired I'm, trying I'm to pretty sure they're still their own thing. But. No, yeah, they they're they like specialize in narrative stuff. Like they took over the Life is Strange series right. um, with Square, um, and I, I I did a I would say a bang up job. I thought True Colors was fucking awesome, um, and was primarily the reason why I wanted to try the Expanse, not because I have seen the show, but just like I, I really liked what that studio did with yeah. Life is Strange. But no, they're a they're like a narrative focused, um, uh, like. A developer that just contracts with different studios. So this is Telltale that was left after Telltale stopped. Telltale. So tell yes, well, but they were also internally developing a new season of The Wolf Among Us, right. which is one of the more successful. And uh, speaking of cult favorites, like yeah, there are yeah. there are Wolf Among Us fans out there. Yeah, I, they include me. I I quite liked that first season um, of. Uh, that the original Telltale uh, produced uh, way back when, based on the um, based on the comic uh, or the graphic novels, uh, and didn't something yeah, just happen so, with that too? Yeah, well, it was well. The, the graphic novels were like right. That was okay. Um, yeah, the Fables guy. He like didn't they put them in like the public domain? Yeah, he put, yeah, he put or something the like comics that. into the public domain because of a licensing dispute of some sort. I forget. It was basically like a big middle finger to DC Comics. That I, like that. That's I the part I do remember is that yeah. the guy was pretty mad. Um, <laughs> but I don't remember the specifics. Uh, so, we, we, you know, we, do, we don't know much about uh, the status of The Wolf Among Us. One developer on Twitter um, uh, 
J. Jonah Jonas. I don't know if that's their, I'll try and look up if that's their actual uh, name, but they, they, were, uh, <laughs> they were working on the project. Um, Jonah, and- Jonah Huang is their actual name. Ah, yes. Uh, and I wrote, uh, this is a sore subject, but I felt necessary to add to the gaming layoff news. Telltale laid off most of us early September status of The Wolf Among Us 2. I can't say NDA and mm. then goes on to make a pitch for unionization. But while Telltale may publicly be saying we're committed to ongoing development and these games are still in production, that certainly suggests maybe it's a little more complicated underneath the mm. surface. And The Wolf Among Us is a Maybe troubled is the wrong word, but like they did an engine switch midway through development, going from, I believe, UE4 to UE5. And that itself is not necessarily like on its own uh, sort of a the worst of all signs, but it certainly it extends the development period, extends how much money you're spending. And you would certainly seem to believe that maybe the expanse didn't sell very well if the next step was to uh, lay off some folks and potentially gut the development team working on the game that was part of your pitch for why you were doing this in the first place, which was to bring back the wolf among us. Yeah. So so the whole telltale thing is super weird. Um, But like, just to sort of like give a brief rundown, they telltale, you know, made very good, successful games, started making too many games that weren't as good and didn't sell as well. Basically went bankrupt. Um, Almost everyone was late. I think everyone was laid off, but like people were kept on to like finish whatever was in currently in development. Um, these like two guys basically formed uh, some sort of organization, and they're now basically acting as Telltale. And they were the, they're the ones that were working on The Wolf Among Us too, mm-hmm. and yeah. the Expanse game. So it's and there are some people who used to work at Telltale, the first Telltale that. Mm-hmm. were hired back by I think it's called LCG Entertainment is the new company but there's it's like one of those things where like also you have people who are like from Telltale that are working on other similar games mm-hmm. um like there's like the um Star Trek Emergence was another one of these Hell yeah right which which Rob liked very good yeah, I, I didn't get around to playing it, but I just remember it looking really rough in preview. So I was really glad to hear that it actually ended up like Oh, it's really good. rough. Like <laughs> it's it's one of those it's like it's it's so but you know what? This is it has it has uh original series vibes in some ways. The video game equivalent of original series, because it's like this thing is held together with bailing wire, but the writing is really, really good. It's like really top shelf track. So yeah, it's like, that's kind of tells that experience, right? Like so frequently you're like, man, this thing feels like it is built on old tech, not optimized, came out by the skin of its teeth. And I love it to death. Yeah. Like, I mean, granted, like I never really played telltale games because they were like good to play. It's because they were written very well. Yeah. Like that first walking dead game, like heaving sobs at the end of that game. Like, Tales from the Borderlands, like one of my favorite games of all time. Um, Those Batmans. The ba- I didn't play the second one, but the first one I really liked, even though it ran like garbage oh, on my awful, PC. Awful. <laughs> second one, also really, really good. Really interesting choices uh, made with that one. Yeah, I was like really intrigued by what they were doing with the first one, making like, like actually doing some interesting stuff with the Wayne family that like I hadn't really seen before. Um but yeah, like I had to look up for Wolf Among Us 2, like the last, like when it was sort of like re-announced and that was like 2019. And like, I know that like the pandemic happened, so you can't really like, 
apply normal game timelines to at games that are being made around 2020, but it's been a very long time. Uh, and they're still saying they're working on it. And but I, after this, I'm especially like, sure, this game's gonna come out. Like, okay, like <laughs> whatever you say. Like, I'll I'll believe it when I see it for <laughs> Wolf Among Us Two at this point. Yeah, I think that's a a fair assessment. Yeah, as much as I would like to see it, I you know, I'll wait and see. So the other thing is. This this one caught me, but there, there's a few elements of this that caught me by surprise. I guess maybe the layoffs part shouldn't. Uh, CD Projekt uh, had layoffs. And then stemming from that, now there is a unionization thing happening, Patrick? Yeah, the layoffs were over the, <clears throat> excuse me, over the summer um, back in July. Um, I would not be shocked if some of that was directly related to Phantom Liberty wrapping up production. Um, and so the usual churn that happens as a result of a project moving from production to then, you know, uh, Cyberpunk 2 being in, uh, you know, a lengthy pre-production uh, phase as that project gets going. Um, but yeah, yeah, they're, they have formed, there's an attempt to form a, uh, a union for folks who work at CD Projekt Red that have a Polish contract. So this is not necessarily something that would cover all the workers. It's very regional. It's very local. Um, but uh, according to uh, a quote here from... Uh, the, the Polish uh, Game Dev uh, Workers Union uh, talking about this this unionization effort. Quote, we started talking about unionizing after the 2023 wave of layoffs. This event created a tremendous amount of stress and insecurity, affecting our mental health and leading to the creation of this union in response. Having a union means more security, transparency, better protection, and a stronger voice in times of crisis. We believe that the mass layoffs are a danger to the game dev industry, and we believe that unionizing is a way for us to preserve the industry's potential. Um, so pretty... What an unreasonable demand uh, to have a, a seat at the table um, when uh, decisions are made frequently without any transparency or understanding of where they come from. And yet How dare they? Materially impact the day-to-day lives of the people who thought they had stability. You know, this comes across, I forget, there was a recent article, I'll try and look it up so I can credit it, but someone had added up all the layoffs in this most recent quarter, um, and it was like 6,000 game developers have lost their jobs like in the past couple of months like it's just a brutal stretch um for a year that has just a tremendous amount of amazing games that are also selling extremely well and yet despite all that you have six thousand people uh being displaced and and having to figure out what they do next and heading into a holiday period where uh you know i my guess is Staffing is not necessarily the highest priority for a lot of studios, um, thus just making the situation even harder for a lot of folks. Yeah, this is the time of year when a lot of layoffs happen because of like quarter stuff. Like they're trying to figure out their budgets for next year, which I'm pretty sure, I think, if I remember correctly, just from some of my last jobs are sort of finalized around this time. So which is why like typically you see just so many layoffs around like September, October. And then into December. And then yeah. the sto- the hope is that jobs start coming back around January. But yeah, yeah, I, after the, there's. Well, when sorry. it's such a flood, right? Like, so this yeah. is so this is in in a much larger scale, um, similar to the concerns, right, that you you and I, uh, Carly, were talking about earlier in which, you know, you thought when you lost your job. Well, OK, like I'll figure it out. I'll give it a little time seat will pop up 
I'll, I'll move on to the next thing, such as life, trying to make it work in games media if you're trying to make it a career spanning decades. Well, when all of a sudden you look around and like, all right, well, I'm on this lifeboat. It's just me. It's just me. Like, I'll wait till like I can paddle over and get to my new island. Well, hey, I, why are there 100 people on this fucking lifeboat? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And... It's like, we're not all going to find an island. Uh, I guess we should all figure it out. And, and I imagine that's a similar feeling is to have so many of these. This the 6,000 number comes from uh, uh, Sophie McAvoy over at uh, Games Industry Biz, uh, who added up all these numbers and kind of put it into stark perspective. But it it's, you know, you may be extremely talented, but like when you look at, you know, 16% of, you know, Epic Games staff being like, it's just, it's a lot of people. There's. There are, there are jobs to be had, like unlike games writing, there are jobs <laughs> to be had in game development that you could find. Of course, maybe you have to like uproot your life, go move. Like there are certainly oh, you know. uh, mitigating. Yeah, you know, easy shit um, once you get the job. But it's it's still the case that you are heading into a holiday period of like lesser hiring among, amongst a lot of competition for those types of jobs and you know, especially if you want to stay in the region that you're in, right? If you are in Raleigh, North Carolina, laid off from Epic, you know, who's also trying to look for jobs in Raleigh, North Carolina, like all the people you just got laid off with. And so I, I think it's a similar sort of story, even though I think probably on the game dev side, you might have a little more confidence that those jobs might be popping up a little more frequently than they are for, for writing about said games. Yeah. And there are certainly more jobs we had in game dev. Plus like you have, this like whole new slate of studios that have been popping up over the past couple of years, like from like industry veterans who like went to do their own thing. Um, and I saw a lot of them sort of posting like, hey, we're looking for people, you know, come work with us. Um, which makes me think that like we might start to see like a huge shift in yeah, the games industry. But you also, also see those people yeah. posting like selling games to publishers has never been harder. Like a lot of those people yeah. who, who launch those startups are also like wringing their hands a bit publicly about how tough the environment has gotten for the model where like you sell your project to an interested party to fund the remaining development on it and bring it to bring it to market. So it's that's that's a, another scary part of this, which is like you have all the people who are sort of being you have these layoff cohorts being created. And then you have these new studios that have sort of been launched, but they were launched under one commercial environment and that terrain has shifted. And so what's going to happen to that cohort of studios? It's, it's, it's really concerning stuff. And uh, you know, the stakes are, the stakes are very high and you don't get much runway as we started, as we discovered this week with um, the revelation that paradox already wrote down they're like like they're brand new. They're literally like just came out brand new tactics game. Lamplighter League uh, wrote it down as a uh, basically like a, a loss uh, and <laughs> like the, you know, something they're not expecting uh, meaningful revenue out of down the road. And tied to that was the realization. I think th did this come from someone on Reddit uh, talking about. Like the an an ex harebrained schemes developer, uh, talking about their like harebrained schemes maker of BattleTech. I should be that's that's important to to note here. Like my favorite game of its year, one of my favorite games of the last decade. Uh, also makers of the Shadowrun games, which uh, 
also like huge favorites, one of our best waypoint one ones. Um, so when the news of the write down came, uh, there was a, a post on a resetera thread, uh, from someone purporting to work at the studio who said that hairbrained was cut by about 80% back in July. And the, the thing they gave, the explanation they gave for some of the turmoil at Hairbrain in particular is that they didn't get Battletech 2 accepted as a pitch. And it was shot down by Paradox for a couple reasons. One is the Paradox wants to make games on its own IP, which, you know, that's a, we can talk about that separately, but. Mm. Battletech did get acquired by Microsoft uh, when Microsoft acquired FASA uh, years and years ago. And so there was a there there's a concern that micro like there would be licensing fees associated with doing another Battletech uh, that would further eat into anything you could make off that project. So Hairbrained, a studio that was really renowned for and made its reputation on adapting FASA properties to video games was suddenly told you have to make something new based on original IP. And they made Lamplighters League, uh, which is sort of a pulpy 1930s Indiana Jones-esque tactics game. And I guess it is it is landed with a thud. Uh, reviews are middling. And the thing that cited in articles about this uh it's like it has fewer than 200 reviews on Steam, which is increasingly now the metric Oof. people use to gauge, like, how much are people even looking at this game? Yeah. Well, it's I mean, it's worth noting it's on Game Pass, right? Um, so there is a a built in sort of like deflation of type players that might purchase it on Steam and leave a review because they might be checking out a Game Pass first. But I believe I, I don't have it in front of me, but I saw that some of the metrics even for engagement on Game Pass were soft, suggesting that even absent Game Pass it's not as though it, 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 Game Pass did not eat all the interest in this game. Mm-hmm. It's suggesting that even on a, a, a service where you're just paying and can play whatever you want that's offered, Lamplighters League wasn't wasn't doing it. Yeah, and as far as we know, I, I mean, I haven't seen any instances where a game launching on Game Pass has sort of like absorbed a lot of players that would have played it on PC or something. Like, as far as I know, I haven't seen anything like that, but... I don't know. Maybe it does exist somewhere. Yeah, it's it's really upsetting. It's, it's upsetting on a few levels. One is that selfishly, I want Battletech too. Yeah, I just like, God damn it. <laughs> I just want it. I think it's neat. I just want Battletech too. It's Phil Spencer. Just go like go on LinkedIn. Hire these people. You own like do the good like Phil. Do, let my on, people good guy go. Phil. Let them let like, them make Battletech too. Make Hexen make Battletech too. Come on. <laughs> Do the right thing. I, I, like, <laughs> it, depending on how the deal is structured, I can actually see why that might have been prohibitive for Paradox because, like, the like launching games is a high risk. The margins are maybe not necessarily what you would like based on some like in optimistic scenarios. You know, the rising the rising tide lifts all boats. Like, you can absorb lots of hits to the margins, but if you don't have that breakthrough, like the the margins can get pretty scary. Uh, if 
you're going to have Microsoft in there as a party uh, on top of the Steam cut and such, also deducting some of that revenue from from what you get back on your investment. I can understand the argument. I also just kind of feel, though, like it's Battletech 2. Like that game, I feel like that game did well. It yeah. reviewed really well. It was a really popular tactics game. I, I feel like for a certain scale, you could have probably dealt with the licensing costs and just done it. And it would have been a safer bet than uh, having having the studio sort of throw itself at a new IP uh, that it Here, that it Here's the thing. We'll, we'll get into this with, with Unity later, but like Paradox is a public company, right? Like there is a consistency across a lot of these companies where like I think those sorts of margins that sort of squeeze suddenly becomes a lot more important when it's not. It's not just are we making enough money to keep making the games, right? Like it's related to stock prices. And I, I I do wonder like sometimes that's lost in some of these decisions. Like Paradox seems like, oh, they're like this tiny little company. It's like, yeah, but like they're also publicly listed. Um, well, there's also some weird context around Paradox too, because uh so back when Hairbrain would have been acquired, I think it was a different regime at Paradox. I want to say this was uh during the period where company founder uh once in future president of the company fred wester i believe he was out or near the outs and he was replaced for a while with um to the point about like a being a public company a more like stock market friendly ceo at this point so more from a traditional business background and paradox also at this point had a long time uh basically head of uh external development um, Shams uh, Drajani, uh, who you know I knew for years, but Shams was a, was a long timer at Paradox, but his brief was always to work out deals with other studios while Paradox's internal development teams made their grand strategy stuff. And this was would have also been the guy, uh, like his last big signature project was uh, the vampire game that got canceled. And the paradox basically had to blow up. Um, and like the dynamics of paradoxes, external development stuff were always really fraught. <clears throat> it was a part of the business that they'd always had um, some hits and a lot of like really public misses with. Uh, but then in all of this a year or two ago, Fred Wester came back. Uh, the, <clears throat> the CEO who had replaced him left and Fred came back. And uh, Shams Rajani, I think, resigned somewhere in all this. Um, so, like, there was, there was, I like, I don't have any insight on this. I'm not as, I don't, I'm not as plugged into Paradox as I used to be. Uh, it, it felt to me from, from the sidelines, like there was some weird corporate <laughs> dynastic politics happening uh, under the scenes there. But, like, I could also imagine that the people who brought Hairbrained in, and like decided like we're going to make this part of our development portfolio moving forward. We're not the ones who ended up having the final say about what things that paradox was going to let them work on and how much runway they would give these projects. Uh, it is a bummer because lamplighters league seems cool. Uh, I haven't, I haven't played very much of it. I'm like, it's, it's me. I'm, I'm part of the problem here. Uh, I was, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of games. There's a lot of stuff competing for attention. 
It was out a week, like those, not on you. Like yeah. I didn't know it came out. <laughs> Thank you. A lot Thank of people Carly. probably didn't. You're welcome. But give it's me like a fucking it, second, Fred. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't give you the time to yeah. try it out. It's like I feel like there's so many like instances where like a lot of games just aren't being given a chance to like find their footing. Like there was like that time, like I want to say it was like last year or the year before, where like there were so many games that were just like. Yeah, this live service game was out for like six months, but we're gonna we're gonna stop we're gonna stop development on it. And there were like three or four of them, and it was like, what is happening? Like Apex Legends Mobile was one of them. Like EA just like shut down a bunch of their like sort of weird mobile projects. Um, so I feel like like that runway for like trying yeah. to find your audience is just getting shorter and shorter. It's I was um. I guess to a degree, it, it is short. It happens faster. Right? I was I was reading this thing earlier this week about uh, is retrospective. I think on so you know I will read anything. Someone's like I wrote a big retrospective on the Last Express, and I'm like, ooh, <laughs> someone wrote something on the Last Express. I better see what's up. But it was discussion basically of how that game flopped really hard and how within a month of its release, uh, you had uh, Jordan uh, Jordan Mechner writing a letter to Broderbund being like, all right, now hear me out. What if we went back to the drawing board and remarketed it for like pumping another million dollars into marketing? And I promise you it's going to, it's going to find its audience. It's going to, it's going to be a hit, but it was like it was within a month <clears throat> they were pulling all their ad spend. They're pulling all their marketing budget. They were just like sort of cutting their losses on this thing, but that would happen after like a month or two, right? Like the, the, you know, you would see sort of the, you'd make a, prediction up through trajectory from launch and you'd have a bit of runway and this would all happen over a period of weeks and months and now like here it's it's literal days it's like the 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 sort of straw they scatter in the wind it's like if that doesn't blow right in like the first 24 hours 36 hours of launch there are companies that are basically going to say well we know how this movie ends and just pull the plug and it's it's obviously terrible, um, but I obviously but I feel like right now we're also at like this really strange like point in game development where like even like big games are becoming too expensive to make and they're not making as much of a profit as, you know, the executives want them to make and or they don't have the resources to like do do what they want to make, you know, so there's like you like you look at. Like, um, you know, like PlayStation just announced like the new consoles, like the new slim consoles. And while they use like fewer materials, they're more expensive. And like how games are now like finally they're like, yeah, we're it's $70 now. And I feel like something needs to happen. We need to figure out what we're doing. Otherwise, this is just going to like keep getting worse because clearly something's off. Like you have like that stuff happening you have all the layoffs this week um you have like whatever's going on in embracer which drives me nuts whatever's going on at embracer was also basically their corporate prospectus like this was their plan yeah. there's a lot of something <laughs> we'll figure it out well we'll spend 200 million dollars yeah. on lord of the rings and go from there it's Who fine doesn't like hobbits yeah uh yeah it's 
it, it is it is so it is so high stakes. And I think I think the other part of it is God. Th- did I just read this in? Uh, it might have been a slate piece. Uh, it was about basically how the long tail completely didn't work. It didn't exist, right? That the notion that like the fact that the digital marketplace is in some ways like theoretically infinite because you can just keep putting products out there. You're not limited by store sell, uh, store shelves. Uh, you're not limited by the library of your your video store. It can you can just have everything? It was specifically about like the end of Netflix DVD, but. I need to pull the article so that uh, Kato can drop it in the show notes and such because it was really interesting. But one of the terrifying things was there's like pretty ironclad like behavioral research that is like the <laughs> the more options you put in front of people, the fewer of them will they engage with and the more they sort into what are like the, uh, there's a handful like big popular winners in a thing. And then everything else gets ignored. There's a it's, it's this crossover point where variety starts turning people off of variety and they start like running toward what's the biggest tent, like mass market popular thing because I'm overwhelmed. And that seems, well, that, that seems you can like just see that in, in Netflix, right? Anytime you turn it on, right? What are people watching? It's it's the thing that Netflix yeah. like puts in the big circuit like it. Hey, these are the things we should you should watch. Oh, thank God! Like it was kind of like when you used to watch things on television, even in cable. It's like, what did you do? You flicked through to see what was on, and then eventually landed on no, something, but and the choice was made for you. But it also meant you were more open to. Oh, here's a random movie I've never seen. It's uh like this is like when I'm in a hotel, and that God help me if that hotel is HBO. The odds of me watching some random forgotten piece of shit from the 90s, earlier 2000s, sky high, sky high. I'll be like, flick, flick Time to flick. watch The Fugitive again. This movie slaps. Yeah. Like, I love The Absolutely. Fugitive. But no, it's like, it's if I'm stuck there in the barren wasteland of cable TV and it's like, uh, you know, there's just not that many options on. And then there's like, um, you know, OK, HBO is playing Say Anything or so. OK, Say Anything is a great movie. It's a bad example. Uh, it was uh, I, I watched I, I watched I can't remember. Drive Me Crazy, I think, is the movie I watched uh, like a few weeks. Carly, do you know this what? movie? Did you get that kind of reaction? I, it's like there's something that like popped into my head as you said it. It was like it's like one of those like early 2000s rom coms, right? Yeah. Yeah, one with Melissa Joan Hart and eight, the the guy from from Entourage. What was that? It's from Entourage. Yes, okay. this Whoa. thing. Right. Yes, I mean, look, who didn't have a crush on Melissa Joan Hart? We all did. That was just a universal feeling we all had in the nineties. So I stumble across this after I'd run out of good Rocky movies to watch during TNT's uh, Rocky <laughs> marathon. I stumble across this, and I'm like. Oh, this has fun '90s rom-com vibes, and you know what it did? It was fine. It was like it was not. It was not. I understand why this movie is forgotten, but also it was like perfectly passable. But the thing is, if I were at home, there's no way I watch that, right? Like I, at home, it's like different streaming services, a million options. It's like no, I'm not watching any of that. Sorry, I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm just going instead. I'm gonna watch YouTube or something. I'm gonna get through that YouTube playlist. Uh, so I think there's there's a bit of this happening in games where it's like. Um, there is so much coming out. There's so much on so much on the market that games can't find their audience, even if they should have them. I think uh, when when uh, Zalvier Nelson was here, Patrick, he like the bellwether that that he was really concerned about was uh, oh the Shadow Tactics people. 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the yeah. fact that that studio had to pack it in, despite having cornered the market on like a beloved niche, like these were the people who made commando style games and made the shit out of them. They were all really good. And if they couldn't hack it with a dedicated audience, there's a market there. People love those games. They were making probably the best games that genre has ever had. And they release the latest one, Cursed Crew. And they're like, we can't keep doing it, guys. We're, we're out. That's really scary. And I think I, I feel the same way about, uh, about Lamplighters League because yeah. I don't think it's bad. No. Maybe like, it would be good. I, <laughs> yeah, Kyle, you played a little bit. I, a little bit. I'm yeah. goddamn charmed. Yeah. Yes. I'm charmed by the characters almost like really early on. I was like, you know what? I'm I'm interested to see. This isn't the thing that you usually think about. Um, I feel like with, uh, like in XCOM, I, I don't you don't really care about the story that much. Uh, apart from any of sort of like you know, writing you're doing in your own head about naming your specific characters and following them through that way. But like the story that they've added to that sort of tactics game is secondary. Mostly. Um, but with this one, they, like, really, they really, like, front-loaded a lot of, like, it's very narrative-forward. There's a lot of little moments to, like, have the characters talk to each other, and then, like, also in the base, there's just, like, you want to hear them have a conversation about what's going on? Like, here's, like, another, like, minute little thing that's happening of, like, to, like, explain what, what the situation is, and they're all, the characters are charming, yeah. Charming is the word. Aesthetically, and I I do think they nailed this. This is a stealth tactics game. Yeah. That feels like it is set in the universe of Ratatouille. Yeah. About yeah, 50 yeah. years before the events of Ratatouille. <laughs> yeah. Like yes, visually, the description. Visually, this is like they're they're in fucking Ratatouille people. They're right. in like this is this is CG cutesy uh Pixar Paris. And they're fighting like they're Nazis, I right? Are they like fake Nazis? They're, <laughs> they're like, proto Nazis. I mean, yeah. it's literally between the two wars, um, and yeah. they like make mention of the Great War, and so like I think you're supposed to be like, it's oh, got some these fun are Hellboy vibes. This too. is a, like, that's the thing I was literally going to yeah. pull up was like it's got that BPRD Hellboy specifically that sort of era of like you're fighting Nazis and the occult like is happening at the same time in the background. It has this really fun, uh, like. When when you, when I open the game, like the first thing that pops up on the like screen is like what looks like a little tarot reading happening. And I'm like, oh, interesting. I wonder how important these cards are. If this is just kind of like flavor setting, but like the first Classic thing, that you... Ricardo. <laughs> God damn it! Like, ooh, cards. Fuck, they got me again. <laughs> and it turns out this uh, deck of cards is um, one of the main, uh, the it's the main MacGuffin, but also is a mechanic in the game where I'm not exactly sure what's happening behind the scenes, but what they say is happening in the narrative is that your actions are being reflected back onto the cards, and the cards come back as specific uh, bonuses that you can kind of um, attach to your different characters. Um, and it seems to be like it's taking from the way that you play the game. Like, cause I got, I've been like really, really upfront with my bruiser in like a kind of haphazard way of like, there's been some times when I would really love a, some sort of stun or repositioning 
And the game actually gave me a repositioning move where I can like push the enemy back uh, and cause them to knock, like fall over if they hit some object, which is really helpful for uh, making sure my, I've had multiple moments of my bruiser going down just due to like being swarmed. The bruiser is really good at leaving a bunch of enemies <laughs> nearby with a handful of hit well, points. Well, just a little bit of hit you're points like, ah, left. I really thought it. this would really thought we'd get the the chain going <laughs> yeah. and clear this, but instead, uh, no, she's just getting perforated. Yeah, uh, by machine guns. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of cool stuff there now. Uh, Sin Vega over at Rock Paper Shotgun, uh, who's probably the writer I listen to the most when it comes to tactics games. Uh, Sin gave his game a fair shot, but like Sin's argument ultimately does boil down to the game ends up as you as you get deep into it, which you and I have not seen. Mm-hmm. It gets real hard countery in terms of like the mm. challenges that you're against you hard countery against you. Where, like, there are certain powers you start running into from enemies that's like, if you just haven't, if you haven't prepped for that specific, like, uh, trap door that's been prepared for you, the game will just pull it out from under you. Um, and so it gets really grindy as you basically start, tr- like, you know, doing the save scum, like, okay, how do I, how do I get through this next section? Mm-hmm. So, like, it does sound like the campaign falls apart a little bit and becomes a little less fun, but that all sounds to me like, well, this game could have had more time to like maybe cook and yeah. figure out like how to solve for some of that stuff. And it, it feels is a such little a charming bit, first impression. Yeah, it feels the tiniest bit janky. Not yeah. too far afield a, a from some other paradox stuff, I guess. But like, there have been like weird things where uh, menus load over each other, things like that. Small things are like, uh, yeah, the lightest bit of extra polish obviously could have helped here, but. It's not super yeah. impacting my my experience with the game, but yeah, you can definitely see where it felt like maybe this uh, the the people making it were a little bit under under a tight a tight. I mean, it's always game development's always under a tight deadline, yeah. but like you know, an extra. But tight yeah, one. being being wrote, being written down within a week of release within suggests a, yeah. that uh, the the axe was not far, uh, yeah. especially having the layoffs uh, before the thing even even, even comes came out. out. Yeah. It sounded Wild. like they were just gonna axe it anyway. Like right. they were like, "Yeah, just get it out." Okay, now that's out. Let's uh, yeah, let's start I'm, cracking down on this. Well, and if it didn't have the game pass subsidizing, you know, who knows? Like where any of that ends up. Yeah. Um, and I mean, now granted, there's been reports that the checks that Sony and Microsoft are writing for these deals are not what they were. A year, two years ago. Well, a year, no. two years ago, Which, people were saying the checks were not what they were three, four years ago. Where it's like the subscription like services aren't sustainable. We, we're, yeah. we've learned this time and time again. Like, how do they make money? Well, subscriptions. Well, yeah, but that's eventually going to plateau. Oh, I just, yeah, I just don't, don't worry. I just saw that Disney Plus email that I got. It's like, hey, you bought three years all at once three years ago for like $50. Now, this next year that you're going to get is going to go up to $70. And now, this next year you're going to get is $140. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to start canceling services. It's getting oh. really ridiculous. If it was not like, it's worth it for my kids, but like Disney Plus was on the, you, you'd be on the, 
the month to month block if it was not for having children. Yeah. It's, it's not worth it. Yeah, like all the subscription services are upping their like ad free tier pricing. Oh, yeah. Netflix keeps going up like it's gone up like multiple times this year, I feel like. Like, yeah, I can't imagine like Xbox Game Pass is as big of a deal as it was, you know, a few years ago, especially because like this is like my conspiracy theory. Hell yeah. Um, But it's like. But Xbox, like, doesn't really say how much money it's made on certain things. It really only talks about players and, like, oh. Well, none of the companies do. Like, Apple makes, like, a huge amount of money off of what they call services now. And and that's just – that's TV. That's, like, iCloud. I mean, like, all the companies – like, the the trend of, like, all tech companies and now entertainment companies that are tech companies is to obfuscate, like, how even revenue is broken down. What's the theory? Well, my theory is that Xbox Game Pass, like, just, like, doesn't make anything. Like, and, like, here, but the thing also is, like, yeah, like, Patrick's right in that, like, like, Netflix, like, oh, this got, like, 65 million viewers. It's like, yeah, but a viewer is, like, somebody who watched one episode for two minutes or whatever the metric they are using now. And now, like, with the um, yeah. with the WGA strike, I think one of the things was, like, now, like, streaming services have to actually, like, talk about well, it. Well, they can, they can, they will share data with union leadership yeah that can then be repackaged and shared with talent like because they still don't want to actually right it's not like we're getting nielsen ratings or yeah so, where it's like ah now we know exactly how this stuff works it's actually like several layers of continued obfuscation but it does open the door you're, you're totally right that, like essentially they wanted to share it's a start nothing. like it's it's a start it's it's how you negotiate you get you get you crack it open and then you can in theory, crack it open wider yeah. you know, in three years where they have to negotiate again. Yeah. And the thing about Xbox also is that, like, we have no idea, like, how many consoles they've sold uh, of this current generation, really. It's, like, all sort of, like, estimates. So it's, like, I don't know. It feels like there's weird stuff going on with, like, Microsoft and, like, sort of, like, what kind of information they're giving out when it comes to Xbox. And, like, I, I don't know. There's, like... There's just like it, it makes me feel very skeptical every time like mm-hmm. Phil Spencer comes around and is like Xbox had its best year ever. And it's like, OK, you're just telling me how many people played like Starfield or whatever. Like, of course, like people are going to play like an hour of Starfield. It's free if you spend 15 bucks per month. But like, are people actually playing it? Like, I mean, it's Starfield. So, of course, people are playing it. But you know what I mean? Like, it's just it's weird. Everything's weird. We got to f- there's. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's that's it. That's it. <laughs> no, and it, it doesn't like you know he can you can talk about like you know we're having the best year ever, but then also a couple months ago he's giving that statement where it's like Xbox is fucked, people. Now, admittedly, this is the middle of the FTC <laughs> thing where he's like, we don't get this deal through. Like, uh, it's a, it's a stab to the heart of of our strategy. But yeah, it's 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 kind of weird. Uh, it it these things sort of exist in uh the fog of war. But I guess, you know, speaking of Game Pass and maybe things being given runway, uh, Redfall got an update. Good. Good one. Uh, yeah, there's there. It's an update with a number of fixes. The 60 frames per second that people figured would be there at launch because that has become fairly standard for a lot of games to have performance and, and quality modes uh, was not there at the launch of, of Redfall. Um, and, you know, I don't I don't think this goes as far as to be the kind of complete overhaul that we've seen for a game like Cyberpunk um, with Phantom Liberty. I don't know that Redfall will ever get that. You know, Cyberpunk, for all of its 
Faults was a huge success right out of the gate. It sold a ton of copies, um, despite the controversies surrounding it. Redfall was reviewed poorly. What like with like immediately had its user base uh, kind of like fall off a cliff, and so I think recently we saw that CB Project Red had disclosed they'd spent 120 million dollars, like sort of revamping Cyberpunk and doing the production of Phantom Liberty. So essentially, 120 million dollars to get that game and its brand in a yeah. decent place before going into production on the sequel. I I sincerely doubt that Microsoft is going to spend a hundred. You know, you know, it's better is like give put 120 million dollars into uh, Dishonored three. That's what I need. Um, like that'll that'll wash the taste of Redfall <laughs> right out of my mouth. Is just Harvey Smith. Get up there and show me a game I actually want to play, um, which is which. which Go back to what you're good at doing. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me an so, actual immersive sim, not whatever Redfall is. Yeah, trying to do. It's cool that you know I always at least appreciate you know companies going back and trying to do right by a game to a certain degree. Um, but uh, I don't know that this makes this game better as much as it makes it more acceptable for what you would have expected at launch. Um, you know. I don't think the 2.0 update is coming to Redfall. Yeah, I was, because I was curious. I I played like truly like an hour of Redfall when it came out and I was like, this sucks. And so I put it, I put it down. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that, yeah. Yeah. I, and I was looking yeah. at the, the bullet list of like all the fixes for this uh, update and there's like a couple of things in there, but like none stealth, of them really. Stealth takedowns. Yes, yeah, doesn't do it like, for you. That's not no, enough. <laughs> unfortunately, it doesn't fix like a lot of the issues I had with the game, which is like there's nothing here. Like there's nothing. Like they're like, oh yeah, we up the enemy count. It's like, and from what I can tell, not nearly enough to make it fix the issues that were there. Well, which like was. It, it, I think it does need an overhaul in the same way that Cyberpunk got an overhaul with its skill tree. I think one of our base level complaints about Redfall. I think Ren put it perfectly when we were uh, discussing it was it feels like they started by creating one character in which you could like branch their skill tree in a bunch of different like four different directions, then made that four characters. But then those individual characters don't feel like they have enough to do and can't like branch off into their own individual builds. And so absent essentially a rethink of the character classes and how powers are distributed, which is what. A lot of what CD Projekt Red spent literal years doing with Cyberpunk. I, you know, I, 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 that's the thing that, you know, that's why when I, we talked about Phantom Liberty, it's like, wow, it seems like they kind of did what you do in a sequel for the original game. I, I don't think they're doing that for Redfall. No. <laughs> no. And like a lot of the Cyberpunk issues for me were like technical. Like, yeah. I mean, I thought the game was just like, okay, really. Um, I didn't play Phantom Liberty because I thought the original game was just like, fine. And I have other games to play. Um, but it felt it felt like there was a lot to do on a technical level while Redfall feels like technical and foundational. <laughs> like mm. it just it's just more of a problem than Cyberpunk even yeah. was. You don't have to explain like Cyberpunk, you don't have to be like, what's the game here? What's what what am I supposed to go yeah, do and exactly. have fun with? Like that's pretty apparent. And like you're you're either in or you're out. Like there are quests, characters. You know, like there are side quests that like I legitimately enjoyed a lot in Cyberpunk, even if I thought the main story was just like like six out of ten. You know, you had Keanu, you had like pretty good like 
you know, like worlds and like all these cars and these locations. And like you said, like, it's just like, yeah, like I, I know what they're trying to do here. It's just not my cup of tea. And also it's broken. But Redfall is like vampires question mark. Red, Redfall like, that's it. Like, I went back to it a few weeks ago just because I've been curious if anything had happened. I, apparently I should have waited a few more weeks because I would have <laughs> seen this update. But like there's there's kind of just the fundamental thing of, um, you know, it's. It's like going out into the open world sections of Destiny in some ways, but it's not as good. It's the it's it, it feels less good to be out there than in a game like that. Uh, it's a game that's like, and we got tons of loot for you, but the loot doesn't feel very good. It's a lot of like, here's 12 versions of the same gun. 11 of them are shit. Here's the good one. Have fun. Like, it's it's a lot of stuff where it's like, it's it's sort of the the sort of first pass at like, well, what would a, what would an arcane, uh, like, schluter, uh, you know, with, with uh, you know, multiplayer, what would that look like? And it doesn't feel like it developed beyond that. And it, it still kind of feels like you would have to put a put a lot of work in there to find uh, the more compelling version. But I don't know. I'm, I'm probably going to reinstall it because I, like here's the thing. I am a sucker for like, ooh, haunted New England. Uh, so autumnal. So cursed. So are you Mr. Autumn Man? Are you Mr. Autumn Manning out in Boston just totally. with your sweaters and your flannel? No, I am too. It's- <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why, that's why I live here. It's also why I moved back. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's uh it's 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 wonderful uh to, to be here to be here in the fall. Um like my plan this weekend is in fact to go leaf peeping. Oh, now that the leaves finally got here. Yeah, I'm just hoping the storms haven't blown the leaves down already. Um, Still can't hear me, but is that a technical term? What? Like, yep. Leaf peeping. Leaf peeping. Yeah, that's the that's the real term. <laughs> I know it's gross. It sounds weird. It sounds like you're looking at it through like a weird. Don't come near my. Ki- don't come near my yeah. kids. Don't come near my kids. <laughs> Ooh, look at that maple. It's starting to turn. Yeah. <laughs> Get red. Mm, look at that orange. Yeah. Mm, my favorite. <sighs> Um, um, no, it's pretty spectacular, Pat. You you knock it, but then some, you get up here, and somebody's like, "Oh, this is like postcard New England shit." I'm not mm-hmm. saying I've. I you just love, don't want leaf peeping. You just don't want. I that don't term. like the term. I reject it. I think bad. send it back to the factory. <laughs> like, do a rethink. We need a we need a, a 2.0. We need a 60 fps performance update on the leaf peeping term. Uh, so yeah. I, well, I guess. Uh, see if I invite you to go leaf peeping uh, with Ooh, at, at this rate. <laughs> it's a red I want to see you. You know, try it's a red flag it. when someone invites you to go leaf peeping. It's like, oh, I got a calendar invite to go leaf peeping. Hey, what go, are you uh, doing? Go leaf peeping, Patrick. You and me. What's better than this? Watching the bears and just peeping a few leaves. Uh, I guess just to close the loop on something. Uh, so John Riccatello is out yes. at another company. Yay! He is yes, John Marcatello, uh, the you know uh, CEO and, pres- uh, and president of um, uh, Unity, which obviously went through the 
a lot of business pitch transitions that we've outlined and talked about, you know, on a number of episodes of, of Remap Radio in, in weeks past, essentially trying to move the company towards a model where it would be profiting off of the amount of times the game was installed and all a litany of issues that come alongside with that. The company walked back a lot of those changes or at least mitigated them to the point where a number of developers that at least I follow on places like social media were like, well, this it's not great, but like this is probably tolerable for a lot of people moving forward. It's not as apocalyptic, um, but um, it was pretty apocalyptic to Unity's like share price and their public reputation. Uh, and and I don't think it's hugely shocking to then find that the company would look for someone to throw under the bus to explain what happened, even though I really doubt John Riccatello is the one like in his office crunching the numbers being like time for the runtime. So it is worth pointing out. Um, so I, there's a really great game business newsletter. I recommend people sign up for called super Yoast. Um, I think it's over on Substack. Um, and I just, I just want to read uh, from this because the, the, the most recent newsletter was called shareholder fall guy, which is essentially saying what, this is what happened with Riccatello. Um, the suggestion that it was Riccatello who single-handedly came up with and forced a decision around Unity's new revenue model is naive. Yes, leaders should be accountable, but they don't operate in a vacuum. Consider this. The three largest shareholders of Unity shares are one venture capital firm and two private equity funds. Uh, Sequoia Capital uh, Global Equities with a position currently worth $1.7 billion. Silver Lake Partners, $1.5 billion, and CVC Advisors, $1 billion. Combined, they control $4.2 billion, roughly 31% of the $13.4 billion in total outstanding shares. Next, two of these firms have lost substantial amounts of money since Unity's IPO in September 2020. Over the past two years, Sequoia Capital has held a position of roughly 38 million shares in Unity, whose value has declined 70% from $5.7 billion in late 2021 to $1.7 billion today. Similarly, Silver Lake has held around 35 million shares and saw its value drop by $3.5 billion during the same period. Between them, Sequoia Capital and Silver Lake have lost $7.5 billion in value. John Riccatello, no love lost. I'm not weeping for him to go out the door. That said, one of the people that works for these vultures is now leading Unity. Riccatello at least worked in games. He seemed to hate it. But he has worked in games. It seems you're like you're not the making next... money. You're not making games. That was that was his whole philosophy. Yeah, again, not tr- the the man has said a number of, but like has worked in games, seen games through production. Uh, you know what I mean? Like at least may not like video games, but like has been a part of them. Unity is now left in the hands of venture capital firms that want a return on investment. D- all I can see in Unity's future is something far worse than what we saw in the last couple of weeks. Because what they want is not a company that is beloved by developers. What they want is ROI. They want a return on their investment. Now, did Unity follow a bunch of other tech companies and have an IPO that has backfired spectacularly on them? Yes. Go look up the share. Do you know that Devolver Digital is a public company? Why? Yes. Why are they a public company? What? Because it was fucking trendy to do this a couple of years back. And now you were like, you are now being held to account publicly by shareholders, by investment firms in a way that should not be like you shouldn't be. You stay private. It is not worth it. And Unity chased a bunch of like private money uh, and had raised a, raised a lot of it, did a lot of acquisitions. And now it's essentially setting up for a really dark 
phase of unity in which it is just going to be extracting capital from these investments the next couple of years. I see no reason to see any optimism. It's cool to see John Riccatello's head on a spike. Fine. But I actually think much worse people are walking through the door. Yeah, I will say that, at least according to this press release, and I'm sort of inclined to believe that they're only going to be interim, like they're not going to be permanent um, at the top of Unity, um, mostly because they're money people. Like, why would you want to run a company where you can just keep putting money into other ones? But I I agree with you. Like, when I saw that, I was like, so they're just getting taken over by the investment firms that mm-hmm. – invested in it during this like ipo phase or whatever or maybe they put a games person into it who do you like this is hand selected it's going to be picked by the money people so yeah it's just a new it's like riccatello was a puppet and he made a lot of money being that puppet and then he was he was no longer useful to them and you know maybe unity does this over the long term right like five years where it's like they just boil a frog but i actually don't think so i actually think I I, th- I think the knives are coming and it will just come from somebody that wasn't an easily hateable person like John Riccatello. Oh, oh yeah, 100%. And it's one of those things where like, like, of course he was going to get ousted. Like after the mess that was the runtime fees thing, like of course that was going to happen. That's not surprising. Um, even after that, I feel like people just like don't, like the trust in Unity has gone completely down. Like there are so many developers that are just like, now we're just going to go to Unreal. We're going to go to Godot. We're going to go somewhere else now. And so it's like, even if these venture capitalist dudes just like did a good job and with Unity. Oh, I, you, I, oh, just, I let's pet the little venture capitalist on his head. Oh, good I, job, like, buddy. You did good, but nobody cares anymore. <laughs> so you still got to, I don't know. Like, it feels like Unity's kind of screwed regardless, but. Yeah, I, I just, I, like my, for developers that looked at that walk back and thought, okay, maybe this is going to be all right. I think all evidence towards Unity's feature suggests you should be running the hell away from it. I do not, yeah. I, it just, I think these companies are just going to sell it to a different private. You know what I mean? It's just going to get these companies will get their squeeze so they can give it to another private equity firm so that they can get their squeeze. And that is that is the danger of once you go public on and try and chase money to that scale is it always ends this way. Patrick, Um, is A24 a public company? No, but they just they just tried to spend a bunch of money to buy the uh, the the TV rights to Halloween and didn't get it. They this, also said they're going to be making more commercial films. In I actually don't think that's like the word I understand. But like A24, do you see how much the, the budget was for like, was it Bo is Afraid? The, yeah, the it lost from, like 30 million, I want to say. It was a shitload of money that, and it didn't make a dime. Also, it seems yeah. like the movie sucked. Uh, but like, I I can see the argument, like, look, maybe it all goes wrong. But like, A, yes, A24 is usually like a stamp of quality. Like I would watch literally, I would subscribe to an A24 service which is just i'll watch whatever you put out same but i can i can imagine them want like i think i'd watch if a24 had gotten the rights to halloween i'd watch the fuck out of that movie sure would have been better than uh whoever has it now i don't know but it's more that they were like we're gonna do action big blockbusters and i'm just like sure they did it did they do everything everywhere all at once right that they published yeah but that's like if they that movie made good money was made for like almost nothing like if you get like A24 with $30 million. I feel like I that's an exception to the rule cool. though. Like it's a genre mashup. It's, yeah. it was sort of like, who's could have seen this uh, movie just like being the best movie of the year? Like yeah. I did when I saw it, but it, you know, it was yeah. sort of a, 
but yeah, like there's so many other movies that like I love from A24 and that just like didn't make money. So I get yeah. it, but I'm still just like, mm, I don't like. No, it's yeah, just, it's unfortunate. It feels I wish, give me a, give me a, give me a, a billionaire that just wants to lose money. On, yeah. Exactly. Well, that's, that's Annapurna though, right? I think Annapurna is the one that is owned by yes. a very rich person and they just sort of burn cash to make stuff. I think, I think right, like. Yeah, Annapurna did the thing, and then it started doing Annapurna Interactive. And I think, like, Annapurna Interactive is sort of like the tentpole brand. Yeah, the, the person, the person, the, uh, an ex Sony person uh, left to go run Annapurna Interactive, and they now run Annapurna. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know that like, person. I was like, wow, congrats. An- like, now yeah. you're, now you're doing, like, let me know if you see any horror spec scripts. He's like, yeah, I'll be in <laughs> touch in a couple of weeks. I was like, okay. Yeah, because Annapurna Interactive now is like that stamp of quality for an yeah. indie game. So. Like Cocoon. Oh, yeah, you were going to talk about that, weren't you? Well, we got to take a break. Oh, yeah. Like, Rob, <laughs> yeah. we got to steer ourselves to an ad break. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of capitalism. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll, we'll take a break and, a break, and then we will talk about some games we've been playing. Back after this. One of the most normal morning routines is a bowl, some milk, some cereal. What changes as you get older is you might want to modify what you're putting into that bowl with the milk. If you suddenly want to cut back on sugar or you want to add more protein, you're thinking about fitness goals, but you don't want to give up the deliciousness of what you're putting in that bowl, you might want to think about Magic Spoon. Uh, Because with Magic Spoon, you get all those flavors you love, high protein, less sugar, and as someone with kids, the idea that I can show them that these cereals can have all of these things and you can think about what's in your body every morning seems really good. Magic Spoon comes in a variety pack of four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs. Only 140 calories a serving, it's high protein, has zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy free. And look, you put peanut butter in anything, I'm there, which is why that's my favorite one and I'm hiding it from my children. You can go to magicspoon.com slash remap to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code remap at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, start the new year off right with a delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash remap and use the code REMAP to save $5 off. Thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. Hey, REMAP Radio listeners. Rob here. You know, the time was I'd come up with a meal plan for the entire week, and then I'd trawl through the grocery stores making sure I had everything I needed right on budget to make those home-cooked meals. Unfortunately, times have changed, and speaking of time, I don't have quite as much of it as I used to. You know, there's a podcast empire to be overseen. But I can't just order fast food and pizza delivery every night. My budget, and unfortunately my increasingly delicate stomach won't allow it. Fortunately for folks in the same boat as me, there's Factor. Factor gives you 35 options each week to make meal planning easy. And not just for dinner. They have breakfast foods and snacks covered as well. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. But it's just as convenient delivering the food you need right to your door. And now, if you head to factormeals.com remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off, 
That's right. That's code REMAP50 at factormeals.com slash REMAP50 to get 50% off. And now you can head to factormeals.com slash REMAP50 and use code REMAP50 to get 50% off. That's code REMAP50 at factormeals.com slash REMAP50 to get 50% off. And we're back, uh, and as Kylo just reminded me, we did make it sound like the next thing we were going to talk about is Cocoon. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, Patrick. Lords of the Fallen can wait. Well, Kato that's a, that's actually has fine. to talk about uh, Cocoon. Lords of the Fallen should wait. Oh, no. Oh, wow. Oh, no. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Rip. Um, all right, but in all seriousness, uh, so yeah, Kato. So last week, Patrick, uh, in those two episodes that you've deleted from your memory, uh, and didn't didn't happen uh, for you. Uh, on those, we did discuss video games, and one of them was Cocoon. And Patrick had a great had a great old time solving those puzzles, and it was in the uh, the off described Patrick puzzle Goldilocks zone. Right? Uh, was, the, yeah. was the main was the main thrust there? That, like, Interesting. Yeah, the right amount of like. Ooh, this is a tricksy little little puzzle they've mm. put before me, but without being like discouraging or just like go get a walk through meathead. <laughs> Kato, where are you at with Cocoon? I feel like you're like just setting Kato up to be like, well, yeah, I think the puzzles are too simple, and uh, I think this game should be more complex. Like you really just it's like, good hey, for Patrick. I, it's good for Patrick. No, I don't think I don't think they're too simple, but mm. um, just for just Patrick just. Is. Just to remind people what this game is really quickly, it's uh, a puzzle game where you can enter and exit various orbs that you can carry around. And Oh, you can ponder. Being, and being when with, you ponder, you, it turns out you go from world to world. Yeah, it's a very powerful pondering. You ponder and enter uh, these orbs. You can take the orbs into other orbs. The orbs have different sort of abilities attached to them. Um and basically that's kind of your only interaction really is the placement and usage of these orbs and their abilities. Um there's no jump, uh there's no like other stuff, very simple movement. You can release the moon protectors. What? Is that because the moon is an orb? <laughs> have you not have you not found these? Like you get an achievement for each one. It's like an extra thing that Oh, oh what you, and then at the end, there's all those statues for each one you yeah. unlock. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't find I, all of I, them. I really felt this is one of the most deflating things in video. So I don't yeah. really care about collectibles. Like it kind of yeah. needs to be just adjacent to the main path, and like then I can be. And I'd also in Cocoon, it's like fun to find them. Like it's like ooh, I kind of poke off at this branch, and like oh, I found something. I really felt playing that game that I was like, I don't think I found all of them, but like I feel pretty good about yeah. how many I found. And then you get to the end where it like shows you how many you didn't find. Yeah. I'm like, fuck, well, man! Like I didn't shit. find any of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, I was also um, both glad and also a little disappointed when I looked up and apparently nothing else happens. Like I fully expected that to be like some secret ending. Some, yeah, secret there is ending, a secret ending, but it's achieved changes. through. A much more arcane. Oh, really? Uh, studying uh, glyphs on, like hidden the world. Uh, pro- like th- you wouldn't find it. It's meant to be Damn. like a fez or uh, 
Oh, what was that Zelda-style game that came out uh, last year that was very good? Uh, I'll look it up. It'll come to me. Huh? Zelda-style game, you said? It was a Zelda Dark Souls-y, but it had, like, the instruction manual. Oh, the fox um, game. Play a little fox, the little fox. Tunic, 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 tunic. Yeah, yeah. You know, these games that have, like, a yes. meta layer of a puzzle where it's like, this is meant to be communally solved right. um, okay. by a community. And gotcha. There's a secret ending um, oh, I gotta look that up. is re- related to that. Yeah, it's kind of neat. It sets up a potentially fascinating sequel for a game that doesn't have Interesting. a whole lot of story <laughs> right. associated with it. Sorry, continue, though. Um, but, but yeah, that's a, that's a general gist. And, like, I, um, I really enjoyed my time with it. I played it while I was sick and it was just the right level of like, I can focus on this thing while I'm going through like kind of brain foggy days. Um, so like in some ways it was like the perfect amount of difficult, but there, it did leave me sort of wanting more is, is, is not the right term. I almost feel like they do a lot of setup with the individual orbs. You have to like, you have to like do a puzzle for each one before like then you move on to the next orb and then at the end you have a total of four right and then you kind of do puzzles with yeah. all four involving all four of them and and each one like unlocks a, a like a power like yeah, what, a like the power. orange one allows you to like cross certain gaps it creates platforms for you another one like lets you shoot like a little I don't know, laser that lets you trigger certain actions in the environment. They're all yeah. very simple. Like, it's it's not like suddenly you're in combat. Although there are boss battles, but those are more puzzles than, yes. than anything else. And I just felt like I wanted more of the puzzles that had all four orbs and less of the individual puzzles. Like, it was not... um the It wasn't poorly paced, I would say, but, like, I would... That's what I would tweak to make it, like, perfect for me. It's just, like, there was, like, like the puzzles were really well designed to teach you what the things did. Like, I think they were super well created for their purpose, but then a few of the individual ones where it was, like, we're still just dealing, just dealing with the green orb was, like, okay, now exhibit mastery with this one where I would have maybe rather move on to the next one, get all four, and then have a little bit more time spending like doing the weird because that's where it gets really weird that's when you yeah, have there's a, the, the last the last like fourth of the game yeah. where it's just like hey you know how, like because this game is like a it's frequently playing with the idea of like nesting yeah so you're like take you can take an orb and bring it into a different orb right so it's like oh like in the green one you can set like the game starts with you just using what you can do in the green world and then all of a sudden it's like oh but what if i brought the orange orb into the green world what does that unlock? And then yeah. you can imagine across four options how that starts multiplying. And they really don't take the training wheels off until like the end game. And when they yes. start doing that, I mean, so there were moments cool. where yeah. it is. I have like never felt cooler. Like I think you it's- saw. And it's the kind of thing where I would have I go, oh, that can't be what the solution is. Like, and then, but yeah. I don't know what else it would be. And then you try it, and it's like, fuck, I can't believe that was even possible. And then yeah. what would happen to me is you'd solve that and then have pre solved the next puzzle. Right. Because the game actually does a pretty decent job of you sort of get a, a sense of its advancement in like puzzle design. Yeah. Where it's like, if it teaches you this, it's going to reinforce that idea with a little more complexity on the next one. And 
when you start like you I get to the next puzzle I'm like I already know this one yeah. I mean, it's cool though like I mean yeah. because I solved it back there and it feels great yeah. and so for me it works perfectly because it was even toward like I understand where you're coming from and I feel like that's why I tried to explain my position on puzzle games like right. so acutely because I think like each brain is going to respond differently and that's mm-hmm. why a lot of puzzle games have like optional challenges you know what I mean it's like right. hey we're trying to do a deliberate pacing here and then off to the side if these puzzles really scratch your brain go sicko like we've we, we and this game doesn't have anything like that it just sort of has the main path yeah and even though it's short even when i got to the end like there were like one or two puzzles was like oh i can feel it Ugh, i it's, feel like yeah. i want to look at a guide and i know that's me like i know that's me but it ended up being like essentially perfectly paced where i like and because one of the things the game does so well is it it locks you into the puzzle right now it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't a really elegant way which is that you can kind of go other places but what you realize as you try to go other places is you can't go other places the game has always found a way it's essentially locked you in a room it just doesn't feel like you're locked in a room yeah. like you can go around the corner but then you just there's nothing there, and it it does there's a like great a little job hallway sort of, that actually leads back into the same room. Oh, weird. Okay, right. <laughs> it's it's all gonna it's all gonna bring you back. And what you I, I ended up doing sometimes as I was working through a puzzle is talking out loud. Like, what are the components that are in front of me? Yeah, yeah. A, B, C, and D. And it's like, is there anything else? I was doing this one. Like, like well, that's why puzzle around. games are such good like things to play with like multiple people mm, because yeah, it, for sure. Like, it works to like talk out loud to somebody else and like bounce ideas yeah. off each other. Yes. Yeah. So that's sometimes what I do when I'm just talking out loud to myself is imitating that anyone would be interested <laughs> in being on the couch with me. Um, one day your kids not... will be old enough and they can help. Yes. Yes. No, for sure. I, I got one that's seven. We're, we're, we're on the path to, to stuff so like close. that eventually. Uh, but um, I mean, I, yeah, like I, I totally get it. Kato. I, I've, I it's think like, for a lot of people, they may get to that very end and be like, oh, shit, you could do like a whole other hour that just kept, keeps nesting this. And um, it's it's this thing, though, where like I feel like it's a perfect size game, too. It was like yeah. just the right amount of time. I just wish it was like balanced slightly. So like it was like that last quarter was actually the last half. Where's like, the Brain Buster DLC, <laughs> yeah. man? Because, no, it really, it really gets into like... Um, Portal-esque, I think, is, like, the thing, the feeling that it gave me. Like the last, yeah. it's yeah, the yeah. type of, like, the type of looped thinking that is both, like, procedural and spatial. Like, you have to consider... Instead of thinking with portals, we're thinking with orbs. And the orbs have, like, they have portal-like... Uh, there's yeah, some they do. puzzles at yeah, the end. So there's some I don't want to, like, even say... So, yeah, I don't, I, like, even want to, like, there yeah. are... There are <laughs> things we could say that I think are actually, like, like revelatory about how the orbs work that I don't even want to sort of, but you're right. Like there are, there are qualities that would uh, put those two in alignment in a way that were delightful to you. It's like, Oh wow. You you held that all the way to the end, even though nothing like the orbs don't change. They don't like gain. It's like, Oh, level up. This orb now has a sick new feature. It's just no, like they could have done it all along and it just doesn't, become part of the design until yeah much later yeah i think yeah apart from that apart from like me wanting kind of a little bit more but like of the like really fun yeah portal-esque level of like 
consideration that they have at the end. And like, I do think it's, uh, you know, it's got a very striking look. It's well paced. Like, it, I never felt like it dragged on too long. Um, and I like, I definitely suggest people check it out, if, especially because it's like, it, it does seem to hit that level of like, not too difficult. Um, if you're, at least tangentially related, like interested, like like yeah, that the the Patrick's Goldilocks, like we were saying before, yeah. <laughs> of like I I like a puzzle game until I don't, and yeah. and this one, like I just was able to walk that. It feels like a game that has a bunch of cut content, like just ton, like it feels right. like so right, yeah, exacting and precise. I hopefully in the next week I'm supposed to talk with um the designer on the game Ooh, about nice. uh. Uh, putting it together and so hopefully i'll be able to share that on the podcast feed sometime in the next couple of weeks but like it just strikes me as a game that like oh i bet there is just like like the recycling bin for cocoon is enormous because it feels edited and edited really well for the most part like Apart from my my want for more of the difficult end, apart from which that, is a good feeling to so, have, right? Yeah, like frequently right. games are too much, and it's sometimes better to have what feels like a too little. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's Cocoon. Enjoyed Cocoon while I was sick. <laughs> so, uh, Patrick, you said it can wait, so we'll just keep it waiting <laughs> a little bit longer. Oh wow! Uh, okay, wow. We were okay, talking yeah, about sure. being locked locked in rooms, uh, and Carly, you've been you've been playing the Mortuary Assistant, yes, which I've had gameplay videos looping for about the length of this podcast episode, which is probably <laughs> a poor choice on my part. Uh, Interesting. You know a little bit about what this game is. Yeah, so it's a. It's an indie horror game. It was published by um, Dread XP. It's it's made yeah. by a, it's got it's a solo developer project, which you know means that it probably had like other help, but it was mostly just one person. And it's a game that like you think sort of is a job sim where you're a mortuary assistant, and that's sort of like the core gameplay is autopsying bodies but there's this plot there's this (laughs) plot (laughs) surround yeah something we've all wanted to do is autopsy bodies um (laughs) i just opened the steam page and one of the images was particularly yeah the the really close up of the face oh it's not good (laughs) yeah no the the corpses are not pretty which i mean is probably accurate to an extent um but the, what makes this game so interesting is the sort of narrative under the gameplay, which is that, like, there's demon possessions um, happening at this mortuary you work at, and every night um, you have three bodies to autopsy, and you have to figure out where which body the demon is in, and also what the demon's name is. Um, and so if you do that, you... You know, the demon is exercised, you win in quotes, which basically means you wake up and your fr- your uh, boss has to be like, well, you got to do it all again. Um, but you can also fail and then you become possessed. And there are multiple endings to get. Um, multiple of them are just like, you fail, um, you win. But then some of them are also like, of progressing the plot of the game to like where you phys- actually solve, fix the whole demon possession problem. 
And what's so great about it is that like all of the elements are randomized. Um, mm. So, um, you know, the same you go to the same general rooms, right? Like there's the autopsy room, there's the morgue with the cream cremator, um, but all your tools are in different places. Um, the name changes every time different bodies. Um, there's different signs that you can look out for to figure out like the demon, like where the demon is. So like you might have to look out for um, slight, like if the body starts twitching or if the, the body is smiling at you or marks appear on its body that may not have been there before. So not only do you have to like go through the autopsies, which is just like a long checklist of stuff, like, you know, like Mixing all these chemicals together to embalm it, taking the blood out, like all this like gross stuff, like the very close up looks of like the eyes. So you put the caps in to like keep them closed and all this like really kind of gnarly stuff there. What's that going on with teeth that I'm seeing in some of these shots <laughs> that I do not like? You have to like um, you have to like sew the mouth shut. Um, that's one of the things you have to do. Oh, um, good. It doesn't look like they're showing. It looks like they're jamming a giant railroad spike into yeah, basically. some. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, I assume this is like at least partially accurate. Obviously, not completely, but there's some of it that is probably accurate yeah. to the autopsy process. And, but like, and in, the best part is that, like, as you go on, the scares get worse. So, like, <laughs> you know, like lights will flicker. Um, but like over time, like a demon might appear in the room with you, like out of the corner of your eye, you look and like, he just sort of like looks at you and scuttles back into the shadow and you're just like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Um, and, and there's like also stuff about like your character and her backstory. So you'll often get stuck in these like sort of like, um, long extended sequences, um, about her. So there's like, just, there's so much going on for a game that was made by just like a solo dev for like no money. And it's so fun because it changes up every time I've played through, I don't know, probably like 12 or 15 quote unquote shifts oh. to try and get to the ending. But it's also really fun to watch people play it because it changes every time Oof. and they'll be like doing their thing. And all of a sudden a demon props up and they just like lose their mind. Like I saw one video of a guy playing and his wife sort of sneaks in with food as he's streaming no. and she scares him and the food just goes like flying everywhere. It's just like, <laughs> oh, no. so it's like, it's a great game to play, but it's also like a great streaming right. game as well. So I'm just, I'm obsessed with it. It came out last year, I think. So it's not like newish, but I don't know. They keep it's updating like, it though. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's a game that's gotten consistent updates. I have to ask. So one of the things I know about this game is it has a haunting slider. Yes. Can, um, you, can you please explain the haunting slider? I mean, I know, what? but I need you to explain. And then also tell me where you have the haunting slider. Okay, so I have not adjusted the haunting slider at all because I think it's perfectly fine as it is. Perfectly tuned. Perfectly <laughs> tuned. This is how Moloch intended the game to be played. Exactly. Like, you know, it starts off kind of like, oh, that's weird. Like the door's locked. And then like over time, it just becomes like the worst stuff you've ever experienced in a horror game. Like it does the thing so well that I love about horror games, which is like, They'll put a long hallway and they'll put something at the end of the hallway that you know you have to go down. My favorite thing in horror games is when they pull it off. And <laughs> Mortuary Assistant does that all the time in different ways. Um, but the Haunting Slider basically ups the severity of the scares. So, like, there's a general, like, pacing. But, like, if you turn that up, it, like, you'll get the scariest stuff in the beginning. 
you know, and like the frequency of it, of the scares will sort of like increase. So it's like you can use if you play enough, you can sort of like guess when like a scare might be coming up because you're like, oh, it's been a while. But like you you turn it up and it just goes that goes completely out the window. That's really that's really funny. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Can you die in this or is it just about solving? No, you can die. Um, um, You can die by failing to get the right demon or the right body and then you become possessed and you get like one of those endings. There's two, I think. Um, one of them is, um, I'll just say it's called the meatball ending by some of the, the fans. And I'll just, mm. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Um, oh, I, I love meatball little meatball, Yeah. <laughs> and also if you just like, don't finish in time, because sometimes you can get to the second body and know what demon, the, what body the demon is in. And then you don't have to even do the third body, but sometimes you're like, you have to finish the third body and like. You don't get there in time. You take way too long and then you just get overwhelmed by scares and die. So there's. But it's not as though you're like dealing with a health bar or like it is is strictly just, hey, this is kind of a puzzle game with a really atmospheric jump scare factory on top of it, which I think is which is interesting because so many horror games like, you know, have like it have uh, tie up consequences right. to like d- surviving based on things like that. And here it's more, are you, you know, are you smart enough to get to the end of the puzzle? If not, then the consequences that you die. But even then that's not, it doesn't feel as punitive as a lot of horror games usually function. Um, when they're, It's only when punitive they're in the sense that there's like, it's sort of on a timer. Um, like each shift lasts maybe around like 45 minutes to an hour. Um, and you sort of have like, I don't know if it has a specific name, but like you get like this, you can pick up these post-it notes and scribble on them throughout the game and they'll sort of tell you like how possessed you are or how close to possession you are. Um, So they're sort of like... Because your text looks cursed? A little bit, actually. Like you scribble on it and like in the beginning it'll just be like scribbles, but like over the the shift it'll sort of become... um, there's three different demon houses mm-hmm. um, that the demon could be belong to, and it'll eventually become like the symbol of the house um, after a certain amount of time. Like you can figure it out. Um, there's like these letting strips that like you walk around with and they'll burn and reveal a symbol that you can then use to figure out the name. So there's like there's so many things you have to like balance here. So it is kind of like a horror game for people who are really into resource management. Um, <laughs> which, which yes. I I love resource management kinds of stuff so that's why I'm like oh a game for me but then of course it's like actually a really good horror game Um, so yeah I've, I just like I play it in my downtime I guess wow just to, just to relax <laughs> basically um, I mean there, it's funny I was reading some of the Steam reviews um, just to get a sense of how people talk about it and this one like cracked me up which is uh I set the haunting event slider to the max and simply wander in the mortuary, enjoying the spooks. I don't even care about playing the actual game. Masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could, you could technically Which is like do PT, that. Right. You've essentially create, I mean, it's, it's a huge part right. of why I'm mean, PT other than having like exquisite, like sort of aesthetics and like really well designed, um, scares. Like you, it's, it's exactly what you described. It's just a spooky hallway. And it mm-hmm. turns out, you can do a lot with a spooky hallway in the right hands. And it sounds like this is a building out in a different direction rather than giving the, you know, a flashlight that can push back the darkness or, you know, Mm -hmm. guns with special spectral bullets. It's 
like figure out the mystery and then poof, you know, like you're exactly. And as the, and you can like sort of feel, and the best part is like because the scares increase as you go, you sort of like feel your heart starting to beat faster as you go because you can feel sort of like time running out as as you do it. And like like you said, like you can literally just like wander around and stuff will just like start happening. It's not really tied to what body you get to at what moment in time. It's just based on the timer. And that's also the inverse of how a lot of horror games are designed in which usually uh increased spooks jump scares are like a sign of failure like it's a consequence that you're like playing poorly like oh the monster is finding you whereas here the longer you're engaged the more progress you're making yeah it's the a reward, reward is is more, which is you know you get a five nights at freddy's or something like that which is explicitly designed around jump scares like in those mm-hmm. games jump scare equals death equals failure for like the design of the game and so i don't know that just seems like really thoughtful Design to like it is, it's, yeah. it's flipping a lot of conventional ways of deploy like deploying jump scares, just like scare aesthetics more generally. And yeah. that just uh I, I you know what? I mean uh Kato Rob, we had some things we've been setting yeah, aside. Like yeah. we might be adding more to us instead of the pile. Should. I think we should. I think we should. <laughs> I would highly recommend streaming it. It is I, so fun we to might, watch might people be. stream it. Tune in next week. Uh. It's, it's spooky season. It's perfect it's time. time. It's mortuary time. Woo. Yeah. Do, 10 a.m. Like time to wake up. and uh. Time to wake up and go to work in the mortuary. Exactly. Exactly. Man, if I were a mortuary assistant, I discovered like the, the, the bodies are haunted. I'm just firing up that crematorium. Honestly, just everyone's like, everyone's in the fire. Are you putting yourself everyone's into in it fire. or the bodies? <laughs> no, the bodies. We're just gonna, we're just it's moving day. Demons. Whoosh, yeah. To be whoosh. fair, like if you break down the logic of it, you can you should just be able to burn everybody. But there's like all this ritual stuff, and of course, like oh, what do they do? They gonna fire me from my cursed mortuary assistant job? <laughs> That's a shit. That is actually something you can do for your very first shift. Is like you 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 drive up, you walk into your first day. You see what's happening, and you can just leave. And <laughs> there, there is an achievement. There's a couple like funny little That's achievements good. in That's here. Good. Like there's one where you like you can pick up because you can pick up stuff, and like if you like take this vase and you throw it, you get like the ooh immersion achievement. So it's got like it's got a sense <laughs> of humor. Like it's it's very sort of over the top, and I love like sort of over the top horror. It's like one of my favorite mm-hmm. things. Like I love like you know like 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 quiet horror too. But like there's something so fun about a game that's just like so in your face about what it's trying to do and is like, yeah, we're just going to like, you're going to be minding your own business and there's going to be somebody standing outside the window looking at you and trying to talk to you. And you're just going to be like, I just like want to throw my computer out the window (laughs) and good game. 10 out of 10, like would play again. Like my, (laughs) my, my fiance always says that mortuary assistant is my favorite game because he'll be like, we, we share an office, so he'd be sitting behind me doing something while I'm playing, and he'll just hear me go, ah. <laughs> 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 it's, it's, I love being scared. I love uh, horror. So it's just like, it's, it just like. I it, could not handle yeah. that. I, that is so I'm, funny. I'm with you. I'm with that you, Carly. Be, that would be like, oh, my God. Like, I'm sorry. We need this. Is We can't share an office. So. <laughs> Rob is playing this game next week. Is yeah, I think Rob. Yeah, I think Rob. You just put Rob. your hand. You put your hand up right now, actually, in that video. Um, yeah, like, I believe is what I saw. It's just like me, 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 me. Let me play. Mortuary assistant brought to you by G Force. Now spin the wheel. Rob, <laughs> demon, are we getting tonight? Uh, so let's see. I think 
we now have to talk about Lords of the Fallen. It's waited long yeah. enough. Yeah, I guess <laughs> Lords so. of I saw some very hype reviews for this. So Lords of the Fallen uh, is a sequel slash reboot to Lords, Lords of, of the, the Fallen. Fallen. Right. Uh, a game released in 2014. They didn't even add a the. the. It's just 20. There's Lords of the Fallen 2014. And this is Lords of the Fallen 2023. I mean, it worked um, for Suicide Squad. Why not? It's true. That's true. Um, and this was original. This the sequel was originally supposed to be developed by Deck Thirteen, who has done a number of games that we have talked about um, uh, highly, including the two Surge games. Uh, Ren and I were both pretty high on Atlas Fallen, the new uh, game from that studio that I keep wanting to get back to, but am buried under you know ten other video games. Um, but that, for whatever reason, that. Partnership didn't pan out, and then a new studio uh, was formed um, uh, called Hexworks that has been working on the game that is out as of uh, this podcast coming out. Uh, it is very much, uh, I think I had seen quotes from the studio in the past, like, we're trying to make Dark Souls 4 or like something like that. Um, and I would say very much Lords of the Fallen is, hey, do you like the gothic fantasy of the Dark Souls games? We are making a game that falls, fall, uh, it kind of follows right in those footsteps. Uh, it also specifically is a game that's been pitching itself like a few games these days where it's like, hey, we're one of the first games coming out on Unreal Engine 5. Um, that didn't work out for Immortals of Avium, a game that I actually think Rob and I might come around on pretty highly <laughs> on by the end of the year. Um, but... Uh, that game has serious performance issues as a result. Like UE5, just like to do some of its like fancy lighting and other things, um, requires a beast of machines and and can really uh, have uh, some distressed console performance. Uh, and you know, to that end, I will say uh, there are some serious performance issues in this game. But boy, it's got some killer lighting. Um, the problem is like, let me start with the positives. Let's go here. Lords of the Fallen. Um, it has a really interesting idea which is that there is a parallel world whose name escapes me at the moment that exists alongside the world that you're in as the player like uh the, the world that you're in like you're fighting this demon who has returned to body yada, yada yada but like you have this lantern and you can hold up the lantern and in real time peek into that other world and sometimes that's as simple as uh well in this world there is a gate in front of me i can't get through it well, if I hold up the lantern, turns out on the other on the other side, that gate doesn't exist. And I will hold this up, and then the lamp lets me walk through it. And so there are times where like you're you do some really neat interactions with the geometry where, okay, so this is what's in front of me. I see a treasure chest up there. I do not see any way to get there. Okay. Like there must be something going on in this alternate reality that I need to engage with. And sometimes that means holding that lantern up and actually transporting yourself to that other world. Uh, and you then fully go over there. And it's it's a just another version of the world that you're in. And maybe in this one, turns out there's like a bridge there that lets you get around to another side, that lets you fall down and get over to that treasure chest. And it's just really neat to be thinking about the game in those parallel terms where uh, you... The geometry of the world isn't the geometry of the world because actually there's a whole nother layer that essentially you have to put a lens on. And when you go to that alternate reality, uh, 
so the way the game functions is if you, you know, you have a health bar. You can refill it with the equivalent of Estes flasks. But when you die, you don't just go back to the checkpoint. You get booted to this alternate realm. So when you go to that alternate realm, you skipped the dying part. You've died. And if you die there, then you head to the checkpoint. But there are locations in the world where you can like climb your way back into reality. And so there are really interesting instances where it's like, okay, I'm going to dip my way into the dark realm and then like get that treasure chest. And then I'm hoping down the hallway is going to be a way to get back so that I can continue on my journey. And those moments feel extremely cool. And I understand why they built a lot of the environmental design, the level design around that, because it leads to some really interesting sequences and just thinking about the space around you in a different way. Essentially where it falls apart for me is like, I just don't think the combat feels very good to play. Like it just, I don't, you know, I will defer to the iron pot, you know, pineapples of the world, the dark souls experts that are going to sit and explain like the frame pacing and the animation uh, priorities that would probably explain on a technical level why this game does or doesn't work. But souls games all come down to feel like there's other things that go into that world design, um, uh, you know, like weapon balance, but it just does not feel good to swing a weapon in this game. It does not feel good to parry. I think it has frequently obnoxious difficulty spikes where you're exploring a space and then it just drops in essentially like a mid boss equivalent, but it's just an enemy type and it just wrecks you. Like it, like it just requires all of your focus. And so a lot of times I'll be, I've found myself in this game just sprinting through areas. It's like, I don't want to fight these three enemies. Like it's going to take everything I have to get through two of them. And then I'll have nothing on the other side. And that's a frustrating place to be with, with one of these games. Uh, the, the reviews, I'm sure some of this will be patched. Like the performance issues on this game are, I played it on PlayStation five in performance mode. There is a quality mode. I apparently some of the late game areas have frames dip, like dipping down into would feel like single digits and the solution from the developers in the short term was just to put up big doors there where you can't access certain areas that can't aren't performing well while they do optimization passes. So clearly the game is just not fully cooked yet. Like it's a game. Gods of games come in hot. This had a day zero patch and now it's getting like every day I'm getting an email from the PR people. It's like, here's a new hot fix. Here's a new hot, like they're doing like maybe this game will feel a little bit different in a couple of weeks. Some of the tweaks they were talking about were like coming down to like feel of the weapons, feel of the parries, like um, fundamental parts about boss design and how they were acting. Maybe parts that weren't working for me will feel differently in a couple of weeks, but we now exist in a world where these games aren't quite dime a dozen, but there's a lot of them like keeping up with just what from software puts out is enough like they are just a very prolific developer even in this specific style of game but then if you want to scratch the bloodborne itch like look like lies of p is right lies there p, and yeah. was a very <laughs> a very good one of those then i was just about to say like i have to imagine those like the lords of the fallen and lies of p are sort of like you know the the, the audiences are sort of like crossing over and they might go for lies of p because it came out first and came out first also it's lies of p is chasing bloodborne right like so now right. from software doesn't just have you know like what we would call like a, like the soulsborne uh or the soul genre like 
they, there were splits in like specific combat approaches that From Software has deployed uh, over the years. And so, you know, Lords of the Fallen has stuff in common with Bloodborne, but Bloodborne has a very specific feel, look, uh, pacing that Lies at P is saying, we're chasing that. And Lords of the Fallen is saying, we are chasing Dark Souls specifically. Um, and it, it's like, I got to pick pick my battles. And it's like Lies of, when I'm every time I was playing Lords of the Fallen, what I was thinking was, I wish I was playing Lies of P instead. Because if you're going to, I think Lies of P is a much more shameless ripoff of Blood. Like it is just, it's not like even lying. Like it's not lying. Lies of P ain't lying. It is just <laughs> saying in front of you, like, <laughs> didn't you love Bloodborne? Like look it's at a this. Pinocchio this is- souls. Like, I mean, you gotta be at least a little shameless. Yeah, yeah, but it's also extremely well crafted. Yeah. Yeah. It is it is exceptionally well made. And I think the ideas that it has that is unique to what it is are pulled off really well, which are a lot in the um weapon customization elements of Lies of P. Here, I think this game does. Like its environmental design and its alternate realities are its centerpiece. So, like this is what we're doing that's different while keeping these commonalities for a uh, fans that like, I, what am I in for? Okay, I know what I'm in for. I know this style of game. Then here's what we're doing differently. I just don't think they hit the mark on the base level. Does it feel good to be this style of game? I don't think it's good enough. I don't think it's actively bad. I just think the bar, the bar used to be like from software sets it really high. And then now you're getting games like Lies of P where it's like, well, even like the games that are falling directly in those footsteps are also getting much higher. And I just don't think Lords of the Fallen hits high enough on that baseline where if what you really want is like Dark Souls specifically, and I I don't like my I like the variants more and I played an Elden Ring sort of fulfilled Dark Souls four for me, like it was following in those footsteps just in a bigger space. I just didn't need this. And so it's like if I'm going to play this, it needs to be operating at a different level, um, like structurally, mechanically to make me want to engage with this very specific style and approach again. And I just don't think it does it. And so if that is you, well, certainly I, I would not recommend purchasing it at launch. I would give it a couple of weeks for the developers to get a bunch of the technical stuff um, uh, uh, kind of fixed uh, out and kind of smoothed out and maybe it'll be in a better place, but it's not for me. Um, I, in fact, like you know, I put in like eight hours into the game and I got to the sequence called uh, Pilgrim's perch i think was the location and it's just a lot of snipers and i kept falling and i thought i got to the end and it turns out i turn a corner and it's like no there's just like several hours more of this and i just i let i just let go i was like i don't i don't need to do this i don't like i'm gonna (laughs) i did my i put in eight hours i can give an uh, i feel like i can give a, a fairly authoritative take on how i felt so far i don't have to review this game and so I'm going to turn it off. Um, and so um, mostly it makes me want to go play more Lies of P because that game yeah. seems great. More my alley. And I'm a Bloodborne person. Like that is my specific from software kink is is Bloodborne <laughs> specifically. And I just don't need to spend more time uh, with with this one. So unfortunately, I don't think Lords of the Fallen uh, quite ranks. I'm more on the Euro. Euro I, you know, I think the reviews they definitely scaled across uh, uh, the, the scale, but Eurogamers, I think two out of five, which is like, I don't know that it's actually bad, but I don't think it's all that good is is kind of where I ended up landing with it. 
Uh, but bad news to every other game, uh, because it turns out we are about to get our game of the year. Uh, oh, we can yeah. just pack it in. Uh, you know, this the demo is dropped during Steam Next Fest, but frankly, uh-huh. uh, everyone can just, you know, 2023 is over, folks. We're pushing like just cut those release dates, move them to 2024, because from now until until the new year, we're going to be playing RoboCop Rogue City. Yeah. <laughs> I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> Hell yes. I think Rob would pay a lot more than one dollar based on his reaction to the to the demo that we played. I would indeed. Tell me more about these $70 video games. Uh, because <laughs> this is this should be one of them. I oh. It doesn't look like one of them, but in terms of sheer joy, can you put a price on it? Uh, well, someone probably does. So, Patrick, we played this a bit for stream the other day. Yes. And you had, I think you and I had seen some of the same clips going around Twitter. They were like, ooh, that looks that looks intriguing. And even there, there were good there's good clips going around social media about this game. It's like, hey, somebody made a cool Robocop game. And that's neat, but I don't think the clips can do justice to one, how good it feels to play, and two, the degree to which this is not just a shooter. This was the part that startled me. Was that yeah. from those clips, I was expecting like like an old school monolith shooter in some ways where it's like, yeah. we're just going to drop you in. You're going to go through the level. You're going to kill a bunch of things. And you're going to be like, that was awesome. But then it turns out that's the whole thing. And you're like, oh, we're just going to run through levels and kill a bunch of these things. And there's, you know, how is there going to be enough variety? Is that going to get old? Does one? Well, get- it's, it's why I made the comparison to a light gun game. Yeah. Like when you're going through the opening yeah. sequence where there's a hostage situation, it's like, oh, man, like, you know, who hasn't played like the Aerosmith light game or the, the Terminator one, like those, I I loved those games when I was a kid. And it's just like, this has the feel of that, except that you just happen to be controlling it like in first person and you have like agency over the, the character's movement. But it's like, I don't know. This is really neat. Man, is this going to sustain like eight to 10 hours? Neat. You know, probably not. And then, and this is the stroke (laughs) of genius. The game is like, okay, so fuck all that. You're RoboCop and you have to work a job. Your job is RoboCop and you have coworkers and you got to do like boring police shit in Detroit uh, in the universe of RoboCop. And you have to like go to go like take citizen complaints at the precinct house because you're a cop and that's your job sometimes. Even RoboCop just has to deal with a random bullshit. I love that and w- so much. And when you and when you make decisions, it'll it'll say on the side of the screen, public pub. What is it? Public trust. You earn public trust. Or you or you upheld the oh, law. You upheld the law. This game, but this we don't game know what that means. Incredible insights. <laughs> this game understands that like the law is not justice. Yeah. You know, RoboCop. He can either earn the public's trust, or he can uphold a law that's sometimes unjust. Yeah. It's spectacular. And like I can't like it it kind it has the weirdest It's been so long since I've played a game like this. I kind of struggle to even I actually keep returning to Deus Ex 1, honestly, in some ways. Mm. Of like mm-hmm. you Robocop wandering around these like semi-open world areas, or or maybe a slightly more recent example would be something like uh, you know, Star Breeze's The Darkness, where it's like we're gonna le- we're gonna set you loose in a little little hub area and there's gonna be NPCs around that you can you can chat up. Uh, I think the darkness is a really good comparison. I think that's going to be a game. I I will be I will not be shocked if when reviews drop and you know cross our fingers the rest is still good. That 
that is a point of comparison for a lot of people. And yeah, like you, you'd watch the watch the stream we did, and yes, we'll have to see how the the full game pans out. But it kind of had it all because it drops you into. You can check again. Uh, the the demo is on uh, Steam right now. It's the it's I think part of Next Fest. Yeah. Uh, so you can go check it out. It's really really cool. But like it opens with sort of the classic like oh man, uh, you know. Uh, a gang that's all hopped up on a crazy dystopia drug has hijacked the TV, the local TV station. By the way, uh, the the graphics are like efficient, is the way I describe them. Very like again, two thousands era shooter vibes, <laughs> but with like modern lighting. But the they where they invested resources, recreating hairstyles. Uh, from uh, you know, from from the period, recreating suits and eyeglasses. That's that's all good. Uh, so they, they really they really poured effort into into that stuff where it like it kind of looks like kind of looks like a proper RoboCop game. Uh, so you 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 get you get that stuff, and then RoboCop has to like clear this TV station, and you feel so impervious to the shots. You are just you. You just they don't. The game doesn't even need a soundtrack. You're just hearing it in your head as you just sort of like. Does RoboCop move fast? No, RoboCop can't dodge. <laughs> you lumber through this TV station, but you have perfect aim. You're RoboCop. Like the gun has no recoil, and so no, you it's are, just line up cursor. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> it's you're also punching a guys three, through windows. It's a three so round be accurate. Yeah. It's a three round pistol, but the first bullet explodes their heads. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You don't need the other bullets. <laughs> it's that stuff is is all incredible. It 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 feels absolutely fantastic. Uh <laughs> and then you're like just when it's like this might be I might I might have killed enough might have killed enough thugs at the moment. You know, I might have like uh, the, these, uh, you know, these, these nuke, the, the, these nuke dealing, uh, you know, gangsters, I might, I might be getting tired of killing these guys. And then the game's like, yes, it is time to live your RoboCop life and go hang out with your coworkers at the <laughs> police station. And then it's just like people being like, Hey, RoboCop, do you come here and help me with this thing? Well, Hey, Robo, please let's, yes, be, let's Robo. be clear. They seem to call him Robo in the, in the police station. Yes, that's very true. My locker is stuck. Can you please open it with your <laughs> Robo arms? <laughs> it is. It is fantastic stuff. Uh, yeah. And like it's cosplaying pranks on each other. And then the bit where it's like, Hey man, we're getting swamped. Can you, can you just like, like open a second desk so you can process these people coming in with police complaints? And so it's people try like it's it's RoboCop as customer service agent. And it's hilarious until also reminds you it's RoboCop where like someone's like, I'm looking for my son. And RoboCop is like, tap, 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 tap. Your son is dead. And like it's horrible, <laughs> but also it's very funny. Yeah. Yeah. And like I'm I am smitten. Uh I am just I am utterly charmed. Like good shooter vibes and then like really fun, weird energy. Uh, in a way that you would want from a RoboCop game, I think. I feel well, like at this point, if oh. you're going to make a RoboCop game, you got to like, you got to watch the movie and be like, man, you know what I really wanted from that RoboCop movie was to see Murphy 
actually interacting with his coworkers. Cause like he does like one cop thing in the movie and then it becomes about like him figuring out like his past life and all this stuff. And they're like, no, let's actually like, like look at this premise yeah. and take it to its like most ridiculous extreme. And honestly, that sounds great to me. Yeah. Well, and it, you know, it comes from a, it comes from a studio, uh, T E T E Y on Tayon um, that, uh, you know, worked on a game that is quite well liked Terminator resistance uh, that seems to have a similar vibe to this in which it's a licensed property taken dead seriously by the developers to try and right. create like, what is the fantasy here? Uh, what, what is the thing that people would want to play? Like what is interesting about this world? And by all accounts, they've done that with Terminator. Like, it's a game that is getting, like, an update to a complete edition that I'm, like, actually curious to check out now. And has all, and, like, RoboCop Rogue City seems to be following in those footsteps where it's just like, hey, usually these licensed properties, like, why would you make a RoboCop game unless it was going to be someone interested in doing something with it? Because there's no movie to match it up against. It's not like there's a 4K, you know, well, maybe there's a 4K re-release. I don't know. But you know what I mean? Like, it is the kind of thing where it has to exist on its own. Usually these games came out attached to the new movie release so that they could ride the wave of that film property. Here, like, what is, who's RoboCop for? Well, like, what's the RoboCop fan base? You know, I don't know. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, it partially explains why this would be potentially like a little more interesting because wh- why else make it? Um, and so it's, it's, it's cool then to see that rogue city seems to be like that. And like, whether it holds up with the course of, I don't know, if it's going to be the semi open world thing. Like I presume it's like a, you know, 20 to 30 hour game, um, whether it can hold up the bit over that span of time. I do not know, but I am, I'm anxious to find out it comes out in a, in a couple of weeks. So it won't be long before we have a better answer on, what exactly is going on here? Get- yeah, I immediately downloaded the demo as you were describing it. So I'm ready <laughs> nice. for the nonsense to just fall over me. It's going to be great. So I have to deal with something that just showed up at the house. I got to get some stuff out of here. So that's going to take me forever because my ankle's fucked up. So, Patrick, can and you I- just see us? Yeah, I will. T- I'll take us out. I'll take right. us out. Carl, right, bye, Rob. Awesome. Bye, Rob. Chat soon. Yeah. Take care. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be curious what you, what you make of it. Um, cause the, the, you know, it is, I don't want to overstate it. I think part of what's happening here is that it's a surprise that like the, the relative to expectations, the game that seems to be arriving is taking a lot of people by surprise. And so it'll be interesting once the fi- final game gets here, it's like, okay, now that my expectations have changed where I am demanding and expecting something interesting can the game hit that mark over the course of a longer period of time? Because eventually the I am RoboCop like shtick is going to run out. And it's like you have to have like some fun, interesting quest design, good writing. Um, and I mean, there's some interesting skill tree stuff. You can give my boy a dash. Uh, <laughs> there is like a speed option. He must weigh tree. like a thousand pounds. Yeah. Like where where's the dash? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about rocket it. Rocket boots? You know? like- sure, well, he gets a jetpack in the third movie, so it's not um. without... Uh, <laughs> Grounding in the lore <laughs> of, right. of RoboCop. Uh, so hopefully we can report back. So it's like literally in the middle of doing that stream, I dug up an email and found the Google form to request 
yes. review code for the game. I was like, well, this wasn't on my radar before. That was going straight to trash. And now I'm like, oh, hopefully the PR person doesn't think that I was putting these emails straight to trash because <laughs> I, I want this trash. Like, bring it bring it back. It's a shame uh, that it's coming out like in a couple of weeks, though. It's going to get... Early November. Yeah, it's it, gonna I mean, get it is just des- a... Destroyed, like, completely it's overshadowed. It's a gauntlet. Uh, well, I don't know. I feel like yes and no. It is weird enough and on its own island that maybe it'll be just fine. It is not as though it is competing against. I think. What is this direct competition? What is Ro- like Robocop Rogue City worried about? Uh, I'm not sure it's worried about Super Mario Wonder or no. Alan Wake 2. Um, I was so thinking it may, more it in terms buy- of like money, right? Because sure. like yeah. if a person's going to buy like Alan Wake 2 because like I'm going to buy Alan Wake 2. It's the Absolutely. only thing I care about. Right. Um and like the Robocop game costs fifty dollars. Like it's basically a full game. So mm-hmm. I was thinking more in terms of like monetary costs more than audience. Because you're right, this is there's no other game that's a sort of Scr- like, scratching <laughs> the same itch as this. It's a movie throwback. I I don't even know how to describe it. I feel like the fact that they included it in Nexus was a big was part of them trying oh. to get around a little yeah. bit of that, right? Because oh, of course. Uh, well, I mean, we've seen hype. time and time again yeah. certain certain next fest games they they kind of make their mark in this uh in that demo fest and uh, are able to coast from that or like train not coast but like transition from that to release and I can think no better example of being able to where it's like hey this demo is taking off and it's not like hey wishlist us we're going to this game will hopefully be out in 18 months like right. RoboCop Rogue City is pretty much done and like will be out in 3 weeks yeah. so they seem to have set themselves up for success. And mostly, like, I hope this game's good because this studio started doing games like Rambo the video game. And then <laughs> like, they have a thing about this. Yeah. Like, they're picking very particular sorts of, like, Rambo, Terminator, Robocop. Give these motherfuckers the Predator franchise. Oh, my God. Yes. Like, let's <laughs> go. Um, As we learned like from Prey, the Predator franchise still has legs. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> if given to the right people, and I think this studio might be, but, I, but I, it's, it's like mostly to say they're clearly upping like the production values, the ambition, the scale. And it's like if this game is like a hit hit, like, like just let this become the studio that takes – these like macho uh, 80s cinematic IP that is otherwise dead to the to pop culture like a little more a little more seriously. So I'm I'm anxious to see where I would love to know what the studio's wish list is. Yeah. Like, what, where do we go? Where do we go? Give them an alien game. Like, like There's alien enough game. of those. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I much be Predator like Robocop's out of left field. Like I want yeah. another one that's like you're making one of these. And I would love Tremors. to see what the next one is for them yes <laughs> you are tremors just tremors floor is lava game moment. that's tremors no it's sort of yeah. like um how ilphonic has sort of made its name as like the weird 80s horror game yeah. studio like why not just become the 80s action game studio i'm with you i i think um i think we're on to something here and i think we are also on to this podcast uh ending <laughs> um yep carly it has been a delight you've been a wonderful uh, guest on, on the podcast. We're going to have to have you back soon. I mean, we've got you in the remap yeah. universe helping us with a bunch of extra stuff. And so we'll have to have you back sooner rather than later. Um, maybe even to play, you know, we'll see how the mortuary assistant uh, stream goes. We might have to 
bring in another ringer for that. But have for, me actually take the reins while Rob is just like dead in a chair. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Watching through his, his eyes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, how did Rob sprain his ankle? Well, he was playing mortuary assistant and fell off his chair. Um <laughs> Where can people follow you? Where where would you point people towards if they are interested in seeing more of your work, more of your thoughts? Good question. Like, where do people find people these days? Um, well, mm. I'm I am still on Twitter, but not really. So if you are interested, you can find me on Blue Sky um, at CarlyVeloci.com, which is also my portfolio website. Um, I'm also on Instagram at VelociRaptor64. Um, and I have a Substack that I'm, that's on a hiatus right now because I'm sort of reworking it, but it's called Paid and Exposure. Um, it's about it's online. It's good. I'm a subscriber. People should subscribe. Thank you. Great, great newsletter. Yeah. It's about, um, our online media dystopia, which as you heard in the beginning of this podcast is a topic I'm deeply interested in. So yeah, check it out. And yeah, thanks for having me. I had a great time. Excellent. Well, uh, that'll do it for Remap Radio this week. Um, thanks to everyone for listening, uh, and thanks to Tumelo for the track Moments Pause. Uh, you can follow more of Tumelo's work at tumelomakes.bandcamp.com. You can support this podcast and everything we do at remapradio.com. Uh, this week, we had uh, a new episode of Patrick and Rob Don't Know How to Feel About the Chicago Bears um, <laughs> in sports. Uh, you can listen to that uh, now. Um, we obviously, Remap Radio. We're, we're back to... Streaming after taking last week off, uh, there will be, I promise, an explanation for the why October has been a kind of an odd month uh, for remap, um, an explanation for why we're like working with Carly. Uh, that is all coming soon. It's all shouldn't just keeps slipping just, by like. Shouldn't we announce it here? No, no. Rob left and you're like, yeah, let's tell everyone. No, 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 no not, not what it is. Just that there is a street. Yeah, but we just delayed it by a day like, <laughs> this morning. Okay, fine, fine. So there, something is going to happen next week. Keep um, your eyes super peeled. To the sky. Keep your eyes to the sky. <laughs> um, like, yeah, we're, we, you know, we spent a lot of time this summer, uh, this fall, thinking through, um, like, what is Remap? Like, wh- what is our vision for, like, a more cohesive whole of what this place is? And I think we're excited to share where we've landed on that. And um, I think that'll have some more concrete explanations early next week. Like we originally, that was going to happen on a Friday the 13th and then it was going to happen on Monday. And now I'm pretty sure it's happening on Tuesday. It's just a lot of getting ducks in a row, technical things behind the scenes. We're in the, the final sprint and uh, keeping my fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're almost there. Like I feel pretty good about, about Tuesday. Um, But um uh, stay tuned for all that one. I, I'm really excited to to kind of show off what's the um, the remap showcase, like world exclusive. Uh, what's happening <laughs> world at remap premiere? Uh, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, there, there kind of will be a world. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, thinking a thing. Yeah, uh, pulling a rabbit out of a hat. But yeah, stay tuned for that. We'll have more to say on that soon. Uh, uh, well, that'll all kind of happen on on stream, uh, and there'll be other places to learn all the details on that uh, early next week. But that is going to do it for us. Fuck capitalism, go home.